You're listening to episode 225 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So we we had the gorilla. We found the purple background. Yep. The city burning. We had the heroes talking to the people. I was crying. Sean was crying. There was a motorcycle, I think. Look at this. We got Marco back. We answered the question, everybody. Oh, yeah, that's right. Will Marco <laughs> return to the Comics Files? And bonus, we got rid of Phil. So <laughs> I feel like that was, you know, like getting just getting Marco back feels like kind of a lateral move. But like getting rid of him or getting rid of Phil and getting him back, that's a, that's a real improvement. That's the next step. Yeah. And, and, and I, I want to I be really honest about what happened. And um, just, you know, the market, man, you make the wrong choices you make the wrong guesses. And the next thing you know, you're out on the street and you have to choose your wife, your cats. And it's just a hard decision. Good to know. Uh, glad I finally got internet in the cat house. So you know, here we are, uh, top top bunk of the of the tower. So glad glad to be back. What's it Thanks, like GameStop. living? What's it like living in the litter box? So uh, first of all, Sandy, uh, don't like the texture. <laughs> Not a fan of uh, how it feels. I mean, I'm Smell sure you like miss that. going to the beach though, right? Like that's got to be nice. Sand between uh, your toes. It just it gets everywhere. So coarse, yeah. The surprises you find when you dig a little too far. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining Marco in like a, like a cartoonish, like he's got like a barrel because they took all his clothes, you know. Yeah. And I, I always thought that that was really interesting imagery for like representing somebody who was in the poorhouse because I feel like a barrel would be a lot more money than just clothes today. Then you think barrels are just free? They're just sitting around? I mean, they were back then. Cardboard wasn't invented until like 10 years ago. (laughs) So Amazon used to have to ship your shit in barrels is what you're telling me? (laughs) If you want to see me in something, you go check out that episode where I'm wearing that egg or coming out of the egg. So that'll be a good visual representation of where where my situation is at. Okay. I never thought about that. I could see a, a a very poor person just having, just lucking on a barrel somehow. <laughs> just falling <laughs> ass backwards into a barrel and some leather straps so you can turn it into a jacket. Yeah. My, legit, my uncle bought one. It's just sitting in the middle of his living room. He has no idea what to do with it. He, he bought a barrel. A barrel. Do you guys remember at my dad's house that there's a barrel on the porch? That barrel was just there when we moved in, and we've never moved it. And it's just a <laughs> giant barrel that has nothing inside it. There you go. See? <laughs> just happened upon a barrel. You can't, you can't take a cardboard box on a pirate ship. It's true. I've never just, you know, found a perfectly good uh, set of clothes on my porch either, you know? Mm-hmm. You probably mm-hmm. could, but they're not good. This barrel, great shape. Holds up a lot better. Donkey Kong's not throwing... Cardboard boxes at King K. Rule. He's not hopping out of pants. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. We have a lot of show today. Uh, and so the barrel talk is going to have to come to a close. Save for the barrel pals. Oh, and and now the Marco talk, too. So I'll stay quiet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, because we're going to be talking a lot about big two comics, uh, big two content. Uh X Corp, which has been long rumored, it's barely even a rumor, but it's a fact. Uh, Teeny Howard's X Corp is finally coming. Uh, we've got more information on what's going on with DC and Milestone. Uh, a certain Nimrod 
is making their grand return. Falcon and Winter Soldier got a trailer this week, and we're going to be answering the question, do comic book movies have a villain problem? I say maybe. Uh, all that and more is coming as we answer your questions as well on this episode of the Comics Pals. Thank you so much for joining us. If you guys want to get us all over the internet, we're the Comics Pals, wherever you look for us on all podcast hosting platforms. Make sure that you guys are leaving a review and a rating wherever it is that you listen. Uh, get us on social media at the Comics Pals. Write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you're made aware of when we drop new content. I actually have had people reach out to me and say, hey, where are you guys on YouTube? I thought, uh, you know, I, I had you subscribed. If that's a problem for you, if you're wondering that, hit the notification bell because that's the way you're going to find out. If you're just not actively clicking and waiting for us to appear on your feed, it won't happen if you don't click that bell. YouTube's so, algorithm is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, wait, we live and die by that. Easy. I mean, yeah, it's that great. Just, Thanks, that Daddy. Make it less true. I mean, that's why Marco's living out of a freaking litter box. <laughs> yeah, if you guys go click the bell, bell, we'll make some money and we can get Marco a roof over his head again. His cats are cold. Or at least a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, if you guys want to have an extended conversation with us, go ahead and join our Discord. Uh, I was on Discord at some point last night, and uh, every conversation felt like it was in black boxes. Uh, between <laughs> WandaVision, spoiler talk, and um, Marco was having a conversation. I think it was about Far Sector. I could be wrong. Uh, Rorschach, Rorschach. Rorschach, okay. And, uh, yeah, it was just black boxes all around, so I skedaddled because <laughs> I hadn't caught up on either one. But uh, we've got a lot of non-spoiler talk, actually, today. And if you want spoilers for WandaVision, you can go listen to our We Watched WandaVision podcast. We are up to date. So episode six of WandaVision just dropped, which means that episode five of our podcast, We Watched WandaVision, just dropped. So go check that out. Listen to us uh, rant, rave, and gush about all the happenings in Westview. And there are some big, big happenings this week that you don't want to miss. So you can check that out as well. And on the book club front, Still plugging the Civil War book club, but also for this month, we've got Vision on deck. Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walter, Clayton Cowles, uh, Jordi Belair, Belair uh, the whole team who worked on the modern classic 12-issue Vision series. It's great. Go listen. Go read the book and then listen when that drops at the end of this month. I said a mouthful. So I'm going to turn it over to Pete, who's going to read us some listener comments that we got this week. You guys wrote in and had a lot to say. So, Pete, take it away. Yeah, so both of these first two comments come from episode 224 <clears throat> over on our YouTube channel. And, of course, uh, episode 224 was uh, Immortal Hulk's anti-Semitism controversy. That was, of course, last week. Uh, so the first one comes from Argyle Warrior one who said on episode 224, is it a typo or a Freudian slip? It's a good point. Compelling point, I think. Uh, and then uh, on that same one, Rammer Martinez Sanchez wrote in and said, in regards to Immortal Hulk, spoiler alert, now, how I can see people taking this is as anti-Semitism as it's also how we're reading a character narrative that isn't, quote, a good guy. To me, that fact adds to it. 
thank you for bringing this to, to light because I did not pick that up. So I think uh, what what he meant there is that um, the the character who's the owner of the jewelry store was also kind of like like smarmy or like like acting weird or something like that. I saw people making that comment online. I haven't read the issue, so I, if I'm misinterpreting that, sorry, uh, Rammer. Uh, a criticism I have with this book is that I that I did not pick up on the first read is the less than stellar coloring. No feathering in the green hairs of Sasquatch slash, slash Samson errors on that page too. And in one scene, the black cop is orange? Question mark. My God, just go back and check it out. Ugh. Well, I'm a little bit behind on Immortal Hulk, but I will do that. Um, I was I read this comment and I was like, damn, I want to see an orange cop. <laughs> that feels like something that you'd see in Star Trek. Sounds like something you'd see in New York. <laughs> so, guys, say who that needs... because because I've lived there. I've <laughs> seen them all. Well, uh, yeah, Rammer. I, I think that um, there was a lot that that played into that whole debacle. And as we said, the story has, I don't know if I would say a happy ending, but, you know, Marvel is going to reissue the issue. Um, and they're, take, they're willing to take back any, any copies that people want to, uh, I guess, stores want to um, return and, and get the new version. So uh, hmm. good, I guess. And, of course, the trades won't include that error, so... Nothing, nothing happening to Joe Bennett at all. Not that Marvel uh, has announced, but uh, you know, who knows how far ahead he's working. Yeah. So uh, it's possible we'll hear an announcement once you know he's kind of yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys think he'll be fired? I don't think so. It seems like uh, it seems like uh, not that it. This is a small thing, but it seems like compared to other things, this seems small. Like in, in Marvel's – like I'm thinking in Marvel's eyes, this would be a series of small mistakes that will cause a little wave, but it's probably not going to affect the sales. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's just kind of how things like this go, right? Like unless there's uh, a huge outcry – I don't think they're going to fire the guy, you know, and there wasn't really that. There was a huge conversation about like, you know, is this anti-Semitism? Is this what's going on? Um, but I didn't like see this huge movement of like fire him, like get rid of Joe Bennett. Right. Um, so I think if something like that happens again, then maybe that conversation is a little bit more um, has a little bit more legs. Mm. Yeah, has has more has more of a chance to actually affect his career. But as it stands right now, um, I, his statement is that it was a mistake, right? And I think that for a, lo a lot of people, um, they're going to take that at face value and and move on. And he's he's been the artist the whole time, right? Yeah, I mean, aside from like you know the occasional cat, uh, catch up issue, mm. yeah. an issue that gives him the time to catch up, they bring in a fill-in right. artist. Yeah. Mm. Does good work. Can't lie. Um, I mean, the issue having an orange cop notwithstanding, even though that's probably not his deal anyways because he doesn't color. So at least I don't believe he does. Yeah, I mean, the book's been praised for its art front, back, and center, and it's a very good-selling book. So I would really be surprised if they, wanted, if they were going to rock the boat on it. 
Yeah. Uh, Marco, <clears throat> you actually missed our conversation on this. So do you want to just share with the people your thoughts uh, uninterrupted? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was one of the people that sort of took it at, at that face value. Um, you know, he has his, uh, maybe he has his political leanings, but I don't think that this was, any of this was with any intent. And I do just kind of believe it was a, uh, just like an honest mistake. Um, and, 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 and the experience of walking down a city, I don't think that the imagery is necessarily uncommon. Um, and then the the icing on the cake being the misspelled word, I think, at least personally, I, I thought it was just uh, you know a mistake. A two, two misspelled words, right? <laughs> yeah, two, two misspelled words. So like uh, English not being the first language. He's obviously Portuguese or speaks Portuguese being from Brazil. So I mean, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd give that a pass. Out of curiosity, Marco, did you read the the initial conversation that uh, Comics XF, formerly known as Xavier Files, posted? Because they were kind of the ones that broke the story. I had it. I saw the the wrap-up, I think, uh, CBR put up. Mm -hmm. The only reason that I ask is because in that conversation, the person that is kind of... uh, driving the 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 making aware of the situation is actually a Jewish person and they were pointing out that um you know a lot of that they they looked I, I don't know if they live in New York or they just did a sweep of New York jewelry stores and looked and looked at them online and they said that they didn't really see anything that was consistent with like with having that image displayed um, and obviously, we live in New York, and I, I don't really come across jewelry stores like that, so I can't speak to it. But um, this person makes the claim, at least, that that's not that's not something that you would typically see. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you go down Fifth Ave, the Diamond District. Um, uh, when I was getting ready to propose to Brandon, I mean, I was there pretty frequently. It's mm. definitely image that imagery that I came across of. Uh, okay. So. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, for the rest of our conversation on that, you guys can certainly uh, go back to episode 224. If you're curious um, about what exactly we're talking about, uh, you can go ahead and uh, and listen to that conversation there. Um, Pete, you want to keep us rolling with another comment? Yes, we have one more here. Uh, this was on episode 223. Uh, from Catherine Stars, who wrote in and said, The X vote sounded exciting. Definitely would have chosen Phil. Hands down. No question. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I feel like you're you're giving them a less than ideal member there, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Catherine everybody continu- needs a strong guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Catherine continues. Like, who is strong guy? He's a strong guy? What do you want? Who's a strong guy? What do you want? I voted for Boom Boom because I like your name. I loved these interactions. You guys always make me laugh. Also, if you all move to an island and live the good life, I expect free vacations for all your fans. I think that's fair to say. I don't. No? We're charging them? They're the ones that got us there, Sean. No, they, they can't come. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. Krokoa is just for mutants. 
I do prefer to have some knowledge or context when I pick something up. If it's in the middle of something or I'm diving into something I'm not super familiar with. Phil had a good point about there being, quote, homework involved in consuming media these days, where there's so much more than that you can slash have to take in to get the quote-unquote full story. That obvious connection being the MCU. I love how everything really has made it a legitimate universe that you're thrown into. However, I also know that uh, I don't know how I am when it comes into when it comes to wanting to dive into established universes or stories. I've stated in the past I can be intimidated by it. But here's the thing: if I'm interested in it, interested in it enough, I'm sorry, interested enough in something, I want to consume all of it, and I will enjoy it. Ah, Snyder's Justice League. Let's have a watch night. Four hours? I thought it was supposed to be three hours. Jesus fucking Christ. Sean, just laughing at the posters. The people getting mad about it. I love it. Let's buckle in, fam. It'll be certainly a ride. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> the Justice League of it all. That's going to be interesting. Uh, we are planning to do a watch along. Isn't that right, Marco? That is correct on the 19th, uh, the day after it comes out. It's just more convenient for the community. So we're going to be doing it March 19th, uh, likely, since it is a four-hour movie. Probably going to be doing it like Friday. That's the Friday. Yeah. And so we're probably going to be doing it uh, 6.30, 7-ish. So if you guys are interested, definitely come and join. Buckle in. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long one, so we want to give people like some of the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so definitely come join the Discord if you're interested. If you want to, or just like you know, comment, hey, how can I get in? Just let us know. We'll try to make it work. My question to you, Sean, is uh, you know, as as our, our our host, are we gonna do the review right afterwards, like we always do when we see a movie together, or? Oh my god! Uh, I think that's only right, right? I feel oh like honestly god. that would be horrible, but I think it would make the content so much better. Like I think it will be a bad experience as a person, but I feel like for the art, <laughs> I'm willing to make that sacrifice. You know? <laughs> well, uh, I think I think uh, keeping Kale in mind, we cannot do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to bed at 10 a.m. the next day. I'm just saying, like, think about it, right? The WandaVision review we did last week, it was a 30-minute episode, and we did it for an hour. So if this is a four-hour movie, that stands to reason we're going to have to do an eight-hour podcast about it, right? Whoa, is this going to be our first four-hour podcast? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Might be our first five- or six-hour podcast. We, we have knows? to eclipse the, the worst part. By. The worst part is we could probably legitimately do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I, I'll say this. So I, as a person who's looking forward to this movie for legitimate reasons, um, I think you're you're giving the entirety of the movie too much credit if you think that we'll have that much to say. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. That's, go ahead. I've been here just as long as you have, and we can talk a long time. <laughs> Listen, I saw Justice League already. I've reviewed that boy at least once, <laughs> the only once. And, you know, I don't care how much footage you add. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to have that much more to say. You can only polish a turd so much. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I do want to I do want to talk just a little bit. I, I've seen people saying like, oh, well, you know, um, it's the same movie. And, you know, that's not true, because from what I understand, 
they're not using any of the Joss Whedon reshot footage. It's also twice as long, isn't it? <laughs> like, it's also twice it, as it long. It can't right? be the same. <laughs> I watched it. You can't you if you add twice the length to any movie, it's a different movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh so strap it indeed, because you haven't seen this Justice League. Dude, I I don't know. This is I'm I'm ready for the the Zack Snyder opus. This is what it is. I'm just glad we're gonna suffer through it together. <laughs> uh Kale though, I do I do wanna let you know that uh Zack Snyder's actually looking out for you, man. Um he um what's that dumb social media app that he loves to use? <clears throat> oh, the one that like was like turned out to be owned by like a Russian oh, Yeah. yeah. I forget. V- like Vero it? or something? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. that, yeah. He hit me up on Vero or v- Vero or whatever it is, and he told me, hey, I listened to your show, and I heard that Kale's old. So I inserted a an intermission. It's 10 minutes. Hopefully oh. that's long enough. If it's not, you're going to have to let me know, because if this movie does come out in theaters, we want to make sure we're catering to old men, because Shit. that's our that's our target demo. All uh, right. So, All right, Zach. All right. Yep. So Continent white um, dudes. That's his audience. I'll, I'll make sure and text him because 10 minutes is just, it's just not quite long enough. I've got a long <laughs> piece to read. Honestly, <laughs> when we do the watch along, I kind of want to make like an old timey movie graphic for an intermission and we'll just take a pause in the middle so everybody can refresh in their drinks and, you know. You, we got to get that new flush down the jam content. Like, it's just oh, sure. it's mm. necessary. Are we you telling know. me I have to perform in the middle of this too? <laughs> <laughs> you guys. Might think I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> like, Wait, if there's a well, real, uh, there is a there... real intermission. <laughs> oh no, I, I totally thought you were kidding. No, I'm not. He he said not to me, unfortunately, but he did say that uh, in case the movie is ever released in theaters, there is a built-in intermission that is ten Yo, minutes. Oh. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love I love the idea that you're just like I didn't actually talk to him. It would be so funny to me if you were on Vero Sean and just like you were able to get direct access to Zack Snyder because you're the only other person on the platform. If I were <laughs> on the platform, I probably could. I just you slide into his DMs and he's like, "Oh yes, finally some interaction." <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever see uh, Interstellar when when Matt Damon? doesn't want uh this guy to leave because he's alone um god yeah 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 Yeah. mcconaughey yeah yeah well he doesn't want matthew mcconaughey to leave so he fucking destroys the the spaceship or whatever (laughs) Zack snyder's gonna hack all my other social media accounts and take them down (laughs) so i can't log in so i'm forced to use vero (laughs) it's the only soapbox i have left yeah uh and then also regarding justice league there is a uh there's a trailer coming there's a trailer coming uh, i believe on monday so i guess for you guys listening it's already out they released a 10 second clip and i think we saw granny goodness i saw that screenshot yeah who do i have to watch fuck while that plays in this movie (laughs) granny goodness (laughs) and dark oh no Oh wait! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, Superman. Why not? <laughs> Give that I feel like the time of her life. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! 
I mean, she is. Isn't she super powered herself? Yeah, right. I have to imagine. Yeah. Yeah, so she could probably, you know, she could handle it. it yeah. yeah. I was seeing. I wasn't gonna use that. Those like those words. But, all right. Uh, on that note, uh, I wanted to respond to just a little bit more of what uh, Stars had to say um, regarding the homework that's that's required for you know consuming media these days. Uh, I think that's probably true to some degree. I think the MCU being the dominant uh, brand, it, it, it makes that so. Um, outside of that, though, I don't know. Like, I guess you could look to things like like Godzilla, right, or those movies, and there are so many, and you probably get more out of it if you've watched them. But I don't, really I don't know. If, yeah, it's, it's that's not new. Like James Bond has always existed, you know, and I mean not literally always, but like yeah. for a long time, and you could watch them all, and it probably. Be, you know, enhance the experience, but you could also not. Um, Star Wars, you know, you probably should watch, you know, them all. But if you just caught the first one, or if you just caught the last one, you know, like you could probably still like it. I don't know. I think I think it's kind of a multifaceted issue. Like some of the examples you just gave, like like James Bond is a little bit more uh, anthological. Yeah. Right. Like not like the James Bond movies don't really connect, whereas like Star Wars, at least you know. Uh, every trilogy is supposed to be a story that's a straight line. Um, the new trilogy, maybe not so much, but um, <clears throat> so that I think is a little bit, you know, that's kind of its own thing. Um, but I also feel like the the kind of difference that we as a generation are noticing is I think that like we are probably the last generation to have lived and remember a pre extremely liberal like media access time period and then a post that world right like when we were in you know high school or whatever like pre netflix and you know the streaming wars and all that stuff i remember there being a period where there were shows that i remembered watching as a kid or or whatever right that weren't available in two clicks of a of a button on my remote right now Right. And like you maybe pirated them online. Maybe you were lucky enough if they had a DVD release or whatever, you know, but like there was a there was a way bigger kind of like media had its moment. And then if it was a classic, it maintained relevance in some way or it kind of just went away, you know, and that doesn't really happen anymore. And like we talked about that with comics, right, where like every comic needed to be the comic that you picked up and were able to know what had happened and jump in and have this self-contained story on some level, but now there's not that expectation that you haven't read or that you haven't seen the other movies, right? Because they're available. So if you cared, you saw them. And if you didn't, you watched a YouTube video or had some article you read or something and you you know enough to go with it. And I think because you have all those tools and we have this like such this increased access to media, um, storytellers are a little bit like bolder with the idea that like if you give a shit you'll catch up see the point i was trying to make was other than the mcu or i guess to a lesser degree the the dc films where else is that evident i mean you could argue it's not even necessarily the thing in marvel because i think this the argument you made is this is true that like 
you don't have to see every Marvel movie. If you have, it enhances your experience. But you can watch the Avengers without seeing any of the movies that lead into the Avengers and 100%, get it. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's made that way. Maybe not with like Infinity War, but that's like the thirtieth movie. So, <laughs> if you look at which I think Marvel designed them this way. If you look at the Avengers movies only, they're kind of a straight line. The only other movie that you kind of need to have seen is Captain America Civil War, but they call that Avengers 2.5. So if you only watch the Avengers movies, you'll know what you need to know to watch the Avengers movies. And then everything else is like, you know, ancillary to that. Yeah. Um, but then when you look past the MCU, everything is operating the way it always has. Um, because movies have always had sequels and syndication has been a thing since I don't know, the eighties or something. So uh yeah, I, I, I feel like it's not really different. Does anyone else want to weigh in? Does anyone disagree with that? I'd make one last point in support of what you just said, which is that extended universe shit has also existed that long. Where, like, there have always been, like, TV show spinoffs, cartoon spinoffs, comic sure. book spinoffs yeah. that are canon, maybe, but don't really, aren't acknowledged and don't really matter. Like, if you're an old school Star Wars fan, you know that better than anybody, right? Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I don't think people cared as much about what counts and what's real and what's not real until, again, it was easier to look at it and, like, zoom out and see everything and make that call certainly not um mass audience wise right like yeah this this the type of stuff that does that has never been this popular before so people who otherwise might not have you know taken the time to dive in now are like oh wow there's all this stuff whoa and i'm here as a comic book fan my whole life like yeah this is what it's like Right, yeah. And it's the kind of thing that, like, they used to, like, make fun of nerds for on, like, The Simpsons or something, right? Yeah. Or and now it's just, like, a mainstream part of our culture that, like, everything has this crazy advanced lore. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, thank you for writing in. Appreciate all the comments. If you want to share your thoughts with us and write in, you can do so by writing to us at thecomicspals.gmail.com. Or you can do like these people did and write in on YouTube. It uh, doesn't matter how you do it. We appreciate it regardless, so uh, keep doing it. Let's jump into the palace pulls, and we'll start with Marco, who chose Immortal Wonder Woman number two. Yeah, um, so this is sort of a two-storyline book. It follows first um, the Wonder Woman that would have just fought against, which we call it Perpetua. Yeah. Um, it had Swamp Thing appear in it, and that was unexpected, so that was cool. But it, it like it like deals with her helping the Amazons prepare to fight the the hordes that are coming from like the other universes and stuff. Um, and then it also starred um, uh, Nubia, who's like a different Wonder Woman, um, and. I just thought it was an interesting sort of story to follow. It felt very like uh, 80s. There's like a little bit of a mystery, a museum theft. It deals more so with this Wonder Woman being kind of like a um, a archaeologist in a sense. Hmm. And I'm like, all right, this is an interesting spin on it. And um, so, yeah, it's the only other 
one of the only other future state books that I was going to also pick up. I'm, I, you know, I like Wonder Woman Media depending on, on what it is. And this one at least gave me enough to want to see the next issue. Okay. Uh, I haven't, yeah, I didn't pull the trigger on Immortal Wonder Woman. Um, it, like, it didn't blow me away, but it, it kind of felt like, um, you know, how we talked about the first issue of, uh, of New Wonder Woman? Yeah. Or, is that was that it? New Wonder Woman? It's not called that. It's just called. I think it's just called Wonder Woman. But yeah. So Yara's book. Yeah, Yara's book. Uh, it, it felt sort of similar in that it didn't knock me out of the park. That one I felt much more down on than this one. So uh, for me, that was a, at least a plus. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I think you had another book. So or another couple of books. I had two, and I wanted to run them by you because I can't decide. Okay. Um, so the first one is called. It's a manga. It's called Donuts Under a Crescent Moon. Okay. And this one is about you know <laughs> you know anything. You know Hinako throws herself into makeup, fashion, and falling in love, hoping that will make her seem normal. Air quotes to the other people at her job. But no matter how hard she tries, she's a self-doubting mess inside, and her attempts at normal romance with men just keep falling. When she starts to think she might be alone forever, a new normal presents itself in the form of a relationship with Asahi Sato, a level-headed woman who works at her company. It starts as respect, and then it becomes far more intimate. So that's the first book. Sounds steamy. Right? Yeah. Now the second book is called Hollow Heart. Hollow Heart. Uh, L, spelled out E-L, used to be human. Now he's a jumble of organs in a bio suit. L is also in tremendous pain and has been for a very long time. Hope arrives in the form of Mateo, a mechanic brought into the world in, in to work on L's suit. Mateo sees L in a way no one else ever has. And what's more, mm. Mateo offers L an escape. Hollow Heart reunites tech creators Paul Aller and Paul Tucker for a queer monster love story about the choices we make between giving our loved ones what they want and giving them what they think they need. So I'm torn. And those are like such different kind. Like one of them is like a very like it's that's a slice of life, like romance story. And the other one is like, this is like (laughs) sci-fi. This is like a sci-fi monster romance. I mean, they're both romance, but so I was going to put it up to you guys. Like, what do you think would be an interesting get for me? Should we put it, should we make a poll in the discord? First oh, of all? oh, I like that. I like that. Do that. And then we can, we can chat about it here, but then, uh, and we'll just we'll let us listeners. know which one you pick yeah. next week. And yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. Listeners on, uh, you pick it. We have a week till it comes out. So let me know, uh, on Monday when the episode drops or whenever you guys listen to it. I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an answer now. Uh, yeah. I'm creeped out by the second one, which means you should get it. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Me person being in a, a, a body suit bag makes you uncomfortable. Like it sounds yeah. so gross. This is like what? <laughs> like I was into the first one, but then as Marco kept reading the second one, I went, "There's a lot more for me here." <laughs> Yeah. There's definitely more meat on the bone, but like a lot of that meat is gross and shoved in a shoved in a metal suit bag or something. I don't know. It it sort I mean, of reminds me, love, baby. It, it sort of reminds me of um, what was the that movie with like the fish person? Oh, something. the Shape of Water. The Shape of Water. Like I feel like that would be the closest thing I can I can think of that. Yeah, but like it. this is more like flipper. Th- like the monster quote unquote element. It's like still a person like 
in Shape of Water, it's a fish guy who cannot speak English. That's <laughs> like way <Sure>. different. <laughs> That's I'm, way I'm, more like having sex with like a beast. <laughs> I'm pulling up the. Uh... All right. Where's oh, the, yeah, this up? one you got to imagine is more like having sex with a robot, a bag of Jello. Oh sure, okay. <laughs> I was thinking more like cyborg, but. <laughs> so I'm pulling up the image. Oh no! Don't show us. No. <laughs> no, this is so. This is. Oh wait, where to go? You got it. This is the cover. Oh no! The cover looks dope as fuck, and like I love horror shit. So like the combination of the romance so and horror. Though. <laughs> but I'm also so down into the slice of life. It sounds... What slice of life is that? The, fir- the first yeah, one. The first, the first one. one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, slice of life. You get turned into a weird biogenetic cyborg and fall in love <laughs> because it's not your life doesn't mean it's not slice of life fair enough uh wow okay, well i wish you luck with that um i'll be on the lookout uh listeners let me know what you guys think as well yeah we'll have a we'll have a poll up uh i guess on monday when this drops yeah Pete's choice was a lot more straightforward uh, he went with Marauders eighteen. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like about ready to drop the book, but I just want to like it. You know, like the promise of this book, um, the pitch of it was something that I was so attracted to, and it just feels like they've gotten so far away from it, and you know, we wanted them to get back to form, and it feels like they just haven't. And this is, you know, the the solicit for this one is that like. You know they're they're gonna return to Mandrapore and you know I don't know but like I, I guess I want to give it another couple issues and see if it picks up before I you know um, kind of just put it away for a while and maybe forever. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Hoping that it comes together to be something that's a little bit more exciting this time around. We're still in Mandrapore. No, we're going back to it now. Again? Yeah. Okay. Right. This is why I'm just like, come on, like, forward, please. Well, I think uh, I, I I expected a lot of Madripoor. It's fair. Uh, when this book was first announced, just because that's where everything shady happens. <laughs> so um, makes we'll sense. You'd see. go there to do pirate stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, I chose Thor twelve. Thor's been Thor's been pretty good. Um, you know. Donnie Cates, you know, uh, I'm not that high on King and Black, but Thor has been a lot more interesting. Uh, Nick Klein's art is really good. Um, And, uh, you know, there are still elements of Thor's history to mine that are compelling. Donald Blake right now is that part of history that they're looking at. And they're using him in a way that I've never seen him use before. And so for that reason, I'm really, really into what's happening right now. Um, no spoilers, of course, because, you know, there's probably people who want to check it out. But uh, I encourage you to give it a try. It's still really early on in the run, only 12 issues deep. And uh, a lot of cool stuff has happened. So, yeah, give it a shot if you're if you're interested in where Thor's at right now. Um, I also chose X-Men Legends number one. Cool. So this is, um, this is an interesting book because first of all, it's by Fabian Nicisa 
and uh, Brett Booth. And so this book is essentially a series that's going to tell a different story, you know, every issue, every couple of issues, every few issues. And it they'll all fit into the margins of a classic period of time for the mutants. Uh, so, for example, this particular issue, uh, the, the way they're touting it uh, is uh, an all-new incontinuity story set during their fan favorite runs. Uh, Fabian kicks off the series with the special saga of Cyclops and Havoc as the Shi'ar return to Earth in search of the Forsaken One. But what secret will the Summers brothers uncover and how will its revelation change what you thought you knew about the X-Men? So seventh Summers brother. Yeah, I think that's what they're they're getting into all that here, which I don't see how there could be four Summers brothers. Realistically, because there's the two we know and love, and then there's also uh what's the other dude's name? I can never remember. Oh yeah. Ultron or some shit. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Vic- uh, victory. I'll look it up. Yeah. Vanguard. So in any event, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm interested, but I, I don't I don't need this series. I'll tell you that. I'm not the target audience for this. Mm-hmm. But more X-Men? Brett Booth? Sure, why not? For oh, one issue. Uh, Vulcan. Thanks. There you go. Gabriel. Yes. Gabriel Summers. Uh, cool. So we're going to move on and get into... The news, and we're going to start with a couple of digital first series announcements from DC Comics. We're going to start with Milestone. So during the fandom, which feels like it was a million years ago, but that was just during the summer. Fuck, uh, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. That feels like three quarantines ago. (laughs) I know, right? It's, It's buck wild. So during the fandom, DC talked about the return of Milestone, and we got some details, but not a ton. We knew that a lot of it would be digital first, but we didn't know everything. Now we've got we've got more knowledge. We, we kind of know how things are going to look, and I'm interested. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So uh, we've got Milestone Returns Infinite Edition Number Zero, and so this is going to debut. February 26th, digital first, with what they're calling an extended cut of the Milestone Returns number zero one-shot, which here they say originally available during 2020's DC Fandom Hall of Heroes and Explore the Multiverse. This updated edition also arrives in comic book stores on May 25th. Milestone Returns Infinite Edition number zero comes combines the original 17-page comic with an additional 24 pages of completely new material written by Reginald Hudlin and drawn by artists Dennis Cohen, Nicholas Draper, Ivy, Bill Sankevitz, and more. So first of all, the okay. fact that Nicholas Draper, Ivy is on this list is super cool. He is a black artist who has been grinding for a really, really, really long time. Uh, he lives here in New York, and he got popular because uh he cosplays as miles morales and he really looks like him Mm -hmm. uh so he got a little bit of buzz off that and then he also alleges that he he sat down with marvel and pitched them the 
hip hop covers idea that they then used. Oh, that's cool. Him. Yeah. Damn, yo, his um, art is cool. He's a young guy, very, very talented. This is his first big shot. So yeah, he's actually team. our age. He's, he's yeah, really, yeah, he's a year yep. older than me. Yep, young dude. Hell yeah, uh, dude. One of my friends is friends with him, and so that's how I'm aware of him. But yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of his uh his cosplay. He did a cloud cosplay. Yeah. Not that long ago that was fucking cool too. Good for so, him, man. Yeah, exactly. That's dope. Yep, this is a good place to get in on the ground floor for a uh a black uh artist. Um Yeah, right? Shit. <laughs> exactly. So this issue is going to be 5 bucks. Digital first, $5. Don't love that. Mm. Uh, <laughs> How many pages is it? Uh, I think they said uh, twenty four. Yeah, so forty one. Uh, that's not so bad for five dollars. It's not great, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I if I wouldn't bat an eye at that price point for forty one pages physical. Right. Yeah. It's the digital part. That it's I'm the fact that of. yeah, digital should be cheaper. Like it should be a little cheaper. It just should. Keep listening. Uh, <laughs> so we also got some information about the static miniseries that we're Here getting. We go. So uh, static digital first miniseries. Uh, it's going to be 20 pages an issue, and it's just going to, you know, it's going to do the, the static stuff that you would expect. Um, it says uh, bullied nerd Virgil is gifted with the incredible electromagnetic powers in the wake of the Big Bang. Now he finds himself caught between an over-militarized police response to black kids getting special abilities and some of those kids who are using those powers in dangerous and destructive ways. But when the bullies who terrorized him before the Big Bang show up with powers of their own, can Static be the hero that Dakota needs? So that's going to launch on April 12th. Yeah, that sounds uh, perfect. For, for four bucks. Um, and then no word, at least here, on when that'll be available in physical. Mm-hmm. Um, then they're going to do an I- Icon and Rocket digital first miniseries. Uh, those are just characters you know that exist within the Milestone verse. Um, and that'll be out June 21st at $4. And then there's going to be a hardware uh, digital first miniseries as well. So a lot of a lot of a lot of milestone stuff that we're going to be getting here between now and August. Each of these series will be launching, and then we'll be coming out in physical at some point. I would imagine, even if the, it wasn't specifically announced here. Uh, so, how do you guys feel about this announcement that we now know exactly what we're going to be getting? Um, and how do you feel about them kind of segregating, for lack of a better term? these books to digital first. So um, I want to, I want to also just add context on the DC infinite app. Um, cause oh, yes, yes. There uh, they've also added a bunch of new content related to milestone as well as cool. some, some of the other stuff around like vertigo. So they recently brought in all of the X, uh, all of the static books. They brought in all of icon, all of hardware. And then they also have sectioned off uh, any, um, uh, like a specific sub sub genre and subsection for all black creators. So like this is like a, a larger push even on the app too. Um, so I think that they're really committing to this digital, this digital angle, and um, 
I've I've only read two of the digital series, the Swamp Thing one and then Aquaman. And I mean, they've been they've been enjoyable, they've been good. And for me, because I am a at this point a digital only reader, at least when it comes to weeklies and stuff, um I'm I'm gonna pick these up, especially hardware, especially icon, and especially uh, static, to try it to try it out. And especially um, three of the four books. <laughs> I, I mean, just just because like I've I've read hardware in the past, and I've grew up with the static uh, TV show, so um, I, I'm definitely willing to give it the to give it the try, especially considering what I've I've read or have experienced in the past. Um, it, it's gonna segment a large portion of the audience i think which is unfortunate for people who haven't read these in the past but i think it's staying true to their it's staying true to their message of being digital first focusing on the their own their own catalog within their uh, within the platforms that they're allowed to provide them and i mean i'm i'm fine with that only because it affects me positively, I think. Yeah, I, I um, I'm less hot on this just because of the context of it. Like, I, I don't, uh, I, like, I, I'm excited for there to be new milestone books, and like, I especially Static, right? I talked a lot about how much I loved the Static Shock show as a kid, um, and it, it feels like a character who's super underserved. Uh, so I'm stoked for that, but like the idea of these being digital first and then coming to shops like as as later as they are, um, plus the context of it being like that this is a new initiative and that they're choosing to do that with the Milestone brand, which is like not new, right? But like it's new again. Like this is a relaunch that like they said that like, oh, we finally worked it out. It's finally done. We want to do a proper relaunch and make these characters more relevant and, you know, bigger part of of DC's offerings and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to put them out digital first, which we know is like 10% of the market. And while this is like a new thing and like it, it just feels like if, if you told me that they were doing this like next year after they'd already been doing this for a year. I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, this is what they do now. Um, but to do it with, like, this IP that is, like, less known or, like, kind of untested or whatever and, like, needs to get over and, like, find a new audience because they've been out of print for so long, um, it just doesn't... I would rather have seen them kind of do something, like, more akin to, like, what uh, Keanu Reeves is doing with, like, Berserker, you know, or, like, it is more of, like you know like if you want to do some kind of like a digital first fine but like make it tighter you know like don't leave comic shops so out of the equation that is such a key way that people get their books and like having at least static maybe like on the shelf like day one i feel like would do more for these books than having them be digital first as part of this kind of like it feels like a gimmick almost you know um and and i i think you you need to do that to prove the digital marketplace and like prove that that's something you're committed to and like try to win more regular readers like marco over but like why do that with milestone when it's like trying to mark a comeback like do that with like a fucking batman story with some you know triple s tier creator or whatever that like is gonna force people in the door rather than like with characters that you're trying to 
put over in a way to make them like come to a new level they've never been on before. I see what you're saying. Trying, so, yeah. But to but into that, sorry, Sean. And they they do have those creators on the digital first books because they have Superman. They have they have two sure. Superman series, two Batman series, two Wonder Woman series. I think. Um. So like they have the volume there of content. I think just the the issue is whether or not people show up for it because of the format. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, and the the question that I have. Or not even the question, but like what I think is the reality, and I'm down to be checked on this, but I don't think any of DC's digital first books have really gotten over um, in digital or or when they eventually come to print. It feels to me like those books tend to be the books that are not that DC's just not trying to leverage. Like hmm. they say they are, they're putting them out. But I don't like I don't know about them. You know, I don't I don't pay attention to them. And it's not it's really genuinely not because I don't want to read digital books when they come out of physical. I would give them as much of a chance as anything else. But these books don't seem to matter. And I don't buy books that don't matter, whether it's from a, 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 a continuity perspective or a this is a book you have to read perspective. Yeah. Um, and they, they never seem to fit either mold. Um, I, and so my concern with this relaunch is that that's how it's going to feel. And I don't want that to be the case. But, you know, when you're telling me, hey, Milestone, I'm like, yes. Then you tell me digital first. And I'm like, eh, why? Why not just put them in stores? That's a lack of confidence on my part in in uh, D, in uh, DC's digital first movement but i think this is showing dc's lack of confidence in milestone yeah um so that's not the only digital first announcement though and i think this one might speak more to uh what pete is looking for so dc has announced justice league last ride which is going to be a digital first miniseries from chip zadarsky uh, so Chip is writing it, and then he's going to be teaming up with Miguel uh, Mendo- Mendonca, Mendonca uh, with colorist Enrica Aaron, Angie and Olini. Angie Olini, yeah. Nice. She's uh, Titan. Jess knows her. Oh, cool. Cool, yeah. Good for her. That's awesome. And so this story is basically just the Justice League broke up, something really bad happened, and it caused you know, the big three to to split up, and now they're going to have to come back together because something really bad is happening that's causing them to come back together. I don't mean to be flippant, but come on. How many times have we not seen that story? It was all um, this time. I mean that's like that's like legit like like you look at the like the two sentence <laughs> primer they have, and it's just like they broke up. Now they got to get back together. Okay. <laughs> now. This is where I think it gets kind of interesting. So, first of all, if you want to buy this digitally only, uh, it'll be broken up into 16 chapters that come out weekly. Um, Hmm. And then that will be followed up by eight monthly print issues. So, eight issues in stores or 16 chapters digitally. Okay. This is going to start on April 14th. 
And then the print issue will come a month later, May 11th. Now, each 10-page digital chapter is 99 cents. And the 32-page print issue is $4. (laughs) So if my math is right, that makes digital cheaper in this instance. Yep. And if you have uh, something like CU, it actually comes out with a discount to 84 cents. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So the reason why I bring this up is because uh, this may not be the first time, but in this instance, digital's cheaper. Well, and like this is what I'm ta- what I was talking about, right? Like this is a a well known creator. You know, maybe Chips Darcy is not S tier, but yeah, he's a fucking a a name, and he's got a good following. If he pushes this book, he's got like a he's popular on Twitter and everything. Like people will know about it and be aware of it. It's cheaper and the variance between it being digital and it being in shops is a month like compare all of that to how the milestone stuff is being presented where we don't know when static is coming out physically it's costs the same amount as a regular book even though it's two pages shorter like and and like the one book that we do know when it's coming out physically it's like two or three months later it's like that that speaks to such a different rollout plan right and like they also have this unique uh rollout for the digital thing where it's like it's 10 a week and you know like that's they're trying something here like this is this is the kind of thing that i think you do to try to sell people on your service and get it get it over you know not like send books that could be successful potentially out to die yeah I'm going to forget about static for sure. And, and and part of it too is like stores don't like digital. So when you say, hey, this book was already out, so you're going to lose sales potentially because the book came out two months ago and people who wanted it got it. Uh, so you're going to get less people in stores for this. Um, and we pushed it digital. I think stores are not going to pump it. Plus, it's like black characters, like just being realistic. Um, you gotta I just too, don't. I, I think it's going to die on the vine. It gives people another out too, because if the book isn't very good, you know that because it's done and people have already talked about it, and the mm. verdict is rendered. So if Static comes out and it fucking rules, it probably will sell when it comes out physically, maybe in collected editions and all that stuff. But if it's just okay, or if it's just like ah, like. Who needs it? Yeah, then then it's exactly what you talked about. Like, who's going to buy a six-month-old book that no one's fucking talking about? They're also all miniseries. So when I see miniseries, I see lack of commitment. Yep. If it's like if it's if it's a Spider-Man book, yeah, he's a miniseries rolling every you know every year. Yeah. But when it's a character like this or characters like these, I again I feel like DC is not committed fully to milestone and that means that it's not going to be successful yeah in my mind the messaging should be you know an all-new ongoing with this creative team and like regardless of whether or not it's digital first that should be the messaging over i think to your point over a mini series (sighs) because that that means that they're not expecting it to last beyond this unless they see results whereas if you were to say a new ongoing is because they have faith in it and at the very least are trying to see how well it sticks versus yeah. 
cool, we're going to test it. It's, if it doesn't work, whatever, self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, and, yeah, it, and yeah. it's it's so annoying because it, it speaks to, I think, the same problem we laid out. I forget what the context of this was, but we were criticizing, oh, it was the, the Hellblazer story. And, mm. right, it's like the same kind of thing where it's like, okay, so look at this milestone thing, right? They announced, what, three series and then this zero issue. Okay, so what if instead of having four books with all these creative teams that you put out digital first for miniseries to die on the vine potentially put out just static and and, and commit to we're going to do at least 25 issues right or 15 because it's producing the same amount of issues it would have cost the same amount of money and and make it a marquee title and put a big name on it and push it and have ads in every fucking dc book and be like this is the new fucking thing you want to read static and then when that is fucking successful on the pages of that book, you introduce Icon and, you know, these other characters who, you know, people like me who watch the cartoon maybe don't know, but then I like and I'm like, oh, I'll go read the book about them too. Put it out later. Like, just fucking well, commit. Like, have it's... have vision and follow through on it. Don't just throw shit at the wall and then decide it's not worth anything. Like, it's so stupid. Well, but, I mean, and and not to be cynical again in the same way as last week. You know, there was this huge lawsuit and, you know, all these uh, issues with the, the Milestone property. It feels like IP hoarding, you know. Eventually, yeah, they can maybe get something decent out of this. But for now, they're just going to hang on to it. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing with Disney and these, um, uh, the live action uh film remakes you know the lion king and mulan and you fart out a you know a <laughs> shitty thing and put seth rogan in it and yeah it'll make a couple of bucks and then you can hang on to the ip and nobody can do anything with it and it's still yours and maybe someday if somebody can find an idea that works within your vision here in 30 years and can make a movie about it then you'll get to keep that you know 50 bucks you made or whatever and at the very least you make sure that no one else that the rights don't end up in someone yeah. else's hand and then they do what you weren't going to do exactly yeah Zack so snyder's static I, i'd also like to point out uh and this has been really bothering me since you guys have been talking in the in the, this announcement that i'm reading is from dccomics.com so it's not like some random website nowhere on this page, does it say who the creative team is? Yeah, static. What the oh. fuck is up with that? I realized that I forgot to say that. I was like, "Who's working on this book? Why aren't you fucking telling me?" That's that's unbelievable. The samples are from the 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 guy you mentioned, isn't it? The samples uh, at the bottom of the yeah, maybe, but it page. doesn't say it in the copy. Uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. But he's only working on the Milestone Returns Zero issue. Who's oh, working on oh, Static? Okay. Hmm. Like they have three paragraphs here. I mean, two of them are just sentences. But like, you're not in this digital first miniseries by writer X artists. At, you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it. it yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I think it speaks to the fact that, like what you said, they don't believe in it or they're half-assing it. And like, if it if it comes together and it it hits, great. Then they can double down on it. But like, 
they're not giving it a chance. Yeah, unfortunate. Uh, hopefully, the books are good because if the books are good, that's the best chance of success that these characters will have. Yeah. Um, I'm going to buy but, Static. I'm going to show yeah. up for it. Do it. Here's a book that uh, certainly is at least, at the very least, much better marketed. Uh, Marvel has now finally revealed the X-Corp series. So uh, we've talked about X-Corp uh, many times at this point in the past, but it fell off the radar because uh, there just wasn't any movement with it. Uh, and this is going to be the Monet Sanct- Monet St. Croix and uh, Angel, Warren Worthington-like vehicle. Uh, They're going to be the stars of of this particular show um, with X-Corporation. And this is going to be more of a boardroom, uh, you know, people in suits battling each other with their words type of thing. (laughs) Um, And and so Teeny, Teeny had quite a bit to say about what this book is going to be. But before I get into her words, I do want to read the description. The deals have been made. Mutant kind is safe on Krakoa. As the reign of X continues, what are the wants of the mutants who have everything? Leading the charge is X Corporation, headed by CXOs Monet St. Croix and Warren Worthington, a duo as cutthroat and ruthless in the boardroom as they are on a battlefield. But X-Corp needs more than just its figureheads. As Monet sets out to staff their team with some of the brightest and most deviant minds in mutant kind, Warren finds himself in a tense confrontation with one of Krokoa's first allies who wants to know the truth. On Angel's wings, will X-Corp crash or soar? Man, that's cool. C-X-O? That's that's cute. Yeah. Uh, And so... (laughs) Yeah. Tini said, some of you have been waiting a while for this book, and I'm the one to blame. I first pitched this story because I absolutely love the weird corporate world within Marvel Comics, specifically books like New X-Men, All-New X-Factor, and the history of what the X-Corporation was before. But in a new new mutant era of gates and deals, X-Corp's corporate embassy is a bit obsolete, and I refuse to sell you guys anything I wouldn't buy myself. We shelved the book for a time, I had X of Swords on my plate immediately after and decided that X-Corp existed quietly in the background, there for us to debut, where we had the right story to tell, the right public offering to make, if you will. Empire X-Men gave me a chance to test drive some of the earliest concepts, Angel and Monet as dual CXOs, Jamie Madrox by their side, and the cleaning up of some of Charles Xavier's portfolio. Since then, I've reworked the book entirely, and you'll know exactly why you've waited until now to see what they're up to. I've got a corporate pass myself, and it's all going into this book. X-Corp, we're simply superior. Damn. <laughs> I can't imagine Teeny Howard working at a corporation. That's so funny. Um, either. I'm so stoked about this. I think this is like such a great elevator pitch for a book. Um, I love the cover. Yeah. yeah, super striking. It's got like a real pop art style. It really stands out among the other covers that all have like a little bit of a more consistent kind of look. That's because it's a David Aja cover. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking sick. Like, it's such a cool design. Um, I don't know. Like, this this speaks to me about like what some of the most fun issues have been in, in the current era of X-Men. Like, we all... To always go back to that issue of of X Men proper. I think it's five or six where they go and and talk to the world leaders, and it's like you know it's way more about the 
you know, um, the wheeling and dealing than it is the action, yeah. right? Like the idea of like a book about like boardrooms and corporate espionage and like all that kind of shit. Um, I feel like is exciting because it's dynamic and different and it will build out the universe and Krakoa and mutant culture in a way that hasn't been, been explored yet in the same way that like, you know, um, I've been like banging the drum of how I really want that Nightcrawler series to explore Wait, the right. religion aspect, right? Like these are aspects of a people of a culture that mutants have never really gotten to explore. Like, and that's, that's exciting. That's what's so cool about Krakoa. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely excited for this series. Um, it's got uh, Alberto Foch. Foch? Foch? Okay. It's probably Foch, uh, right? Yeah. That's probably right. And it's got a cool cover. It's got two characters that I like. Uh, Sonny Go on colors. Sonny Go. I mean, he is he is the man. He's definitely the man. Um, so, yeah, this is cool. I I'm excited to see it in part because... It has been floating around for so long. What's interesting is that Tini mentions that she reworked the whole premise. Yeah. So I I wonder if we'll ever find out what the book was going to be before. Hicksville. <laughs> <laughs> I I do uh I think I'm actually more excited by the fact knowing that they shelved it and then she came back to it because yeah, right? yeah. that to me like speaks to the fact that like there's really like the the kernel of this story that she really wanted to tell and she feels right. confident enough in it now that she's like let's go that sounds like a book you want to read i actually have um an interesting story um about that well kind of uh this is coming from an interview at newsarama with the editor in charge primarily of uh the X world, Jordan D. White. And so Jordan is kind of the person who speaks out the most when it comes to um, the X club behind the scenes. Uh, and he had some interesting things to say about a, a few things. So he was talking about, he was basically asked, what can you tell us about the future of some of these, some, some of these titles? And there were two books brought up, the Moira book and this one, X Corp. This is before this announcement was made. Um, and so he basically, he didn't answer the question in a straightforward way, but he said, one of those books we're going to hear about really soon. And the other, well, sometimes we talk about things and announce things that aren't quite going to happen. And so this this is the actual quote. Huh. One of them you're going to be seeing, seeing really soon. The other, things happen quickly in comics, and sometimes we tease something that might not come to pass. It's an X-Men tradition, but there's still a chance. I actually just had an idea about it because you asked. That might be a different way to spin it. So, again, it was Moira and it was X-Corp. One of those just got announced. So the other yeah, is Moira. No Moira. Yeah, I wonder no. why. I wonder like what their plan was for Moira and why they've adjusted it. If I remember correctly, when Jonathan Hickman talked about this many moons ago, he said that there was a creator that they had in mind that they really wanted to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Do you guys remember something like that? 
Vaguely. Yeah, yeah I kind of vaguely remember them talking. Maybe was that at the Comic-Con thing that we went to? Uh, I'm not sure. He wasn't there, but um, I, I remember. I just I feel like I remember reading him saying something like that at some point. Didn't they play and, a video of him talking at that? Uh, maybe. Maybe. It's been a while. But in any event, uh, maybe they couldn't get the creator they wanted. Yeah. Um, maybe the story has kind of evolved to where that's doesn't really fit in anymore. Or maybe it's like too early. Because I also feel like I remember it felt like the original plan was that it was like didn't wasn't the thing that the original slate of books was all going to be a certain number of issues and then they were going to introduce the new books and like some of them have gone longer than they intended and like it feels like they kind of adjusted the roadmap since Moira was on the table. Um. Well, what what they said would happen happened. They they got through the first wave of the Dawn of X, and then they introduced all these wave two books, um, some of which were teased at the time, like Wolverine and others right. that we didn't know about. Um, but wasn't like the Marauders only... and, and Excalibur supposed to end? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, I, the only book that ended was Fallen Angels. Mm. And that was because... Uh, What's Brian Edward, uh, Brian, Ed- Brian Edward Hill just kind of didn't want to do it. Uh, it wasn't going well, and uh, he had other things going on. So mm-hmm. he's got Power Rangers to think about. Sure, sure. Oh, and Titans. Titans, yes, absolutely. Hmm. I don't Interestingly, know. go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I hope they come back to it at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, interestingly, though, Nimrod is going to be returning here really soon. So mm. uh, there's going to be a skip week, or rather, oof, skip week, I wish, skip month. Uh, Marvel's going to skip a month with X-Men and X-Factor, uh, so we won't get any of that in April. But in May, with issue 20, uh, the cover just is Nimrod's face. It's his broken-up face. There's smoke coming off him, and he doesn't look happy. Uh, it's a very striking cover uh, by Linil Yu. And um, yeah, it's the return of Nimrod. I mean, that's obviously a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a major deal. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about how uh, post sword, Ten of Swords, right? Like, we know we're moving it. What's, what are they calling it? The something age? Uh, Reign of Royal? X. Reign of X? Reign okay, of yeah, Reign of X. Um, I was going to say, I remember there being some royal imagery in the name. Um, obviously, that, that seems like a a pretty important development, I would imagine, in that era. So that's pretty cool. Uh, is Nimrod not in the future, though? Like, yeah, I, I guess we're going to have that kind of a time jump back to those mutants from that de- desolate future. I mean, the space. thing is, we don't really know, right? Because like this timeline is removed from everything we saw in the timeline jumps in in 10 house and 10 or house and powers um because the takeaway right was like all of those different iterations were echoes of a future that mora had tried right and this one is we're seeing it play out okay so the interview with jordan white kind of speaks to that just a little bit uh he's asked 
from uh, from future books to past books about the future, I reread Powers of X, Powers of Ten recently and noticed the relative absence of some of these characters and elements from the story set in the future of the current books. I realize those are still distant alternative futures, but what kind of picture can you paint for readers who were interested in those concepts and how they might appear going forward? Ooh. And White responded, well, those futures were all past lives of Moira McTaggart that no longer exist. Will a Rasputin or Cardinal exist in the future of her 10th life? Will a Nimrod the Lesser or Nimrod the Greater? All these questions remain to be seen. That said, overall, we've made a conscious choice not to delve into the future since Powers of Ten wrapped. Yeah. So much of the setup that it puts in place rests on that question. Will the 10th life turn out different for mutants? Or will they lose again like they have every time in the past? To jump forward cuts out a lot of the tension. Hmm. So with this issue returning to Nimrod and the issue before that, issue 19, being the one where we see the vault explored, I'm wondering if they're not going to somehow delve into what, if issue 20 won't be delving into what was seen by the X-Men who the went into the vault. Yeah. 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 Huh. Okay. I'm wondering if maybe the appearance of Nimrod could lead to a potential shakeup in the like the status quo of the government too, like because obviously Professor X and Magneto know what that means, right? They know like what Nimrod potentially represents long term for them, whereas like nobody else in the Quiet Council knows that, right? So like that's something that like I could see potentially coming up where like you know, and I'm just spitballing, right? But like, think about this, right? There's already a bit of a power schism happening in Krakoa. The X-Men are now existing as an like an extra judicial, you know, superhero team. And Jean, one of the most powerful telepaths, right now potentially at odds with them. Professor X and Magneto start acting weird. Maybe she does some probing. Maybe they find out about all these past lives that they have chosen to keep from the mutant people. Like those are all things that could potentially unravel from a, a Nimrod appearance. Um, so it'll definitely create some some tension, even if they don't flash forward. If, I mean, if Nimrod appears, so this that's the interesting thing, right? Is like, obviously in the history of Nimrod's appearances, he's never referenced or shown any awareness of the fact that in the future... You know, all the things that we saw in powers would take place mm. because it hadn't have it literally had not happened yet in the sense that Jonathan Hickman hadn't written it yet. But Nimrod is known to come back from the future and start some stuff up. So what happens if Nimrod comes from the future? But it's not necessarily because, again, it's not the same future. Right. Yeah. E everything we've seen happen won't theoretically happen again because that was a different life. So the Nimrod theoretically won't be that same Nimrod. So I think that that opens up a wealth of possibilities. Maybe the interaction between him and the mutants is what spurs up a bad ending for the mutants again. Sure. Oh, uh, in this timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they try to kill him or <laughs> something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, th I think 
I've always felt like Powers of Ten was a cautionary tale. Like that part of the story was just a cautionary tale, and they let us in on it. I don't regard any of that as like, okay, watch out because that's going to happen. Type yeah. Thing. I mean, every one of the timelines is so different, right? Like, there, there's so little in common between the different lives that she led. Well, if you just talk, if you're just talking about the the future stuff and powers, sure, sure, they could happen, but they're not because they happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, the same events would have to take place to lead to that. Yeah, it won't happen the in the same way anyway. Right. Uh, would you guys say that there's a good chance that we see characters like Cardinal again? Surely, I, I think probably. Yeah, I. Yeah. I I, I would be surprised if that's a well they don't go back to ever. Um, maybe just later. Like I wouldn't be surprised if if this continues going for a couple of years or whatever. You know, maybe they do do a book that takes place in one of those like alternate futures or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, like they had that um, Age of Apocalypse book that ran for a while, like kind of on its own, just because people were interested. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, remains to be seen. Thankfully, we don't have too too long to wait. I think. All of us on this uh, podcast have been anxiously and not that patiently awaiting things to really ramp up for the X-Men. So um, between this and the Hellfire Gala, I am ready for the summer. Yeah, let's fucking move, dude. Yep. Uh, So, you know, speaking of movement, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Watch, our weekly segment. (laughs) (laughs) Keanu Reeves is moving on from an offer. We didn't even know he had, which is an offer to play Craven. What? Was that not an offer he could not refuse? <laughs> no. No, he could not. refuse it, apparently. No, damn. I'm- yeah. Uh, so Keanu Reeves, it was reported anyways, was offered the role of Craven. And then within three days, it was reported again that he passed on that very same role. <laughs> he's, like, he's like too busy. I'm I'm working on a comic, guys. Sorry, can't can't do it. He's a guy. I have a fledgling, uh, a fledgling career as a writer. So I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> my money's in comics, guys. Sorry. Um, Gerard Way. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> if it works, it works. <laughs> so first of all, this is a Craven solo movie. This would not take place in the MCU, theoretically. We don't exactly know where things are going to be by the time a movie like this will be coming out. The multiverse of madness can blow everything up, and then it turns out Sony and Marvel's universes are just going to be shared. Doubt it, but whatever. Uh, So this would be Keanu Reeves playing Kraven in a movie, theoretically, without Spider-Man, and so they have to find a way, like they did in Venom, to make him stand alone. Um Craven. <laughs> Does that just work with anything? Pretty much. <laughs> as long as it's two syllables. <laughs> <laughs> um now Keanu Reeves is obviously a megastar. Keanu Reeves is one of the most popular actors in Hollywood between John Wick and the Matrix and Bill and Ted's awesome adventure. <laughs> Um, that I mean, that is him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Who could forget yep. Berserker? You know, <laughs> of course. Please, he was just in uh, Cyberpunk too, right? Like, yeah, he's yeah, on fire right now. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, does he have time for Craven? Apparently not. The man passed. I have two questions. One, for, forgetting about the ridiculousness of doing a Craven movie sans Spider-Man. <laughs> Put that to the side because we already we, we get that. Uh, do you think that Keanu Reeves would have been good for this role? And do you think that Keanu Reeves you could see him sticking around to do the role more than once. Um, oh. yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I see him as Craven. Uh, when this news came out, I, I commented in our Discord that I just I have a hard time seeing him like with the accent and everything. I don't think Keanu Reeves is a a, a bad actor, but I I don't think that he is like. I think he's really celebrated because he's a likable person. And he has charisma, so he can carry a movie like a John Wick, right, um, really well. And he was great in The Matrix. Um, but I don't know that I want to see him in, like, you know, uh, like a Joker-style, like, focused character piece where he has to play a character with an accent. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know that he's... I don't know that that is within his range. I'm not sure that it isn't, but... You tell me that, and it doesn't get me excited, right? It, it gives me pause. He'd have to show me that he could do that. Um, and then it, as far as the other thing, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it's tough to say because I – with Keanu, right, like, he has committed to roles, right? Like, he played Neo for a long time in The Matrix. He was in three John Wick movies, like – he, he's clearly not opposed to playing a character for an extended period of time. Right. So I guess it depends on the nature of the deal. If it's like a villain and he can be in like a three movie arc and then die or get put on a shelf. Yeah, probably. I don't know that he wants to be Iron Man for 10 years or something like that. But also when you think about it, what is Keanu Reeves best at? He's a fucking action star. What are the best, biggest, highest grossing action movies right now? They're superhero movies. If you gave him a character that he really loved, like Wolverine, yeah, right. Like I could see him play Wolverine. Oh. He's too tall. Everybody complains about that, but <laughs> I could see that. I could see him do. He's got the gruff. He's likable. He's got a softness to him that people connect with. He could be a Wolverine. You know, I, but all the all the characteristics of Wolverine. It's all yeah. Soft on the inside. Soft on the inside. Gruff on the outside. Good beard. If Hugh Jackman can nail him, uh, you know. <laughs> can, hey, you think- at, at least Hugh Jackman was can- uh, was Australian. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least they got that part right. Um, I see. I don't know. You know, like I, I, I feel like, I feel like there's a chance you see Keanu Reeves as as a superhero, but I also think there's a chance that. You know, he is a writer now, and he, you know, he did Cyberpunk, and he said at the Game Awards how much he liked working on a video game, and he'd like to explore doing more voice acting and mocap and stuff like that. So he might also just be at a period in his career where he's got creative opportunities that can kind of take him in more interesting directions, and he doesn't feel the need to tie himself to, like, a big budget uh, franchise right now because he, you know, to Sean's point, he's one of the few actors in Hollywood who you can bank a movie on. Like, John Wick was nothing, and it's, do you want to watch Keanu Reeves shoot a bunch of guys? Yeah. <laughs> How many actors can do that? Not many. Can shoot a bunch of guys? Sure, but, like, that will get people to show up for three movies in a row and make millions of dollars. 
Yeah. That's tougher. Yeah, I, I I didn't see him playing the character necessarily. I think Pete laid out pretty much why. Like I I definitely agreed. And I mean, as for coming back for the character, I don't think they would have done like a multi Craven movie, you know, arc or whatever. Mm. It, it feels more like a one and done kind of like Morbius thing. Or uh, I I just I don't see it being a long story that isn't just like one-off movie. Hey, this is Craven. And then maybe he'll come, he'll make an appearance in a venom or in, in, in something else, you know, not necessarily this. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was, I, I feel like there were better act, not better actors, but better castings, Voices. like casting that you would have been able to, to get across. Like I had seen car urban getting thrown around. I'm like, Oh word. That, that, yeah, that was the one that Rachel suggested, right? Yeah, like yeah. that I saw. I was like, yeah, work. That's, uh, that's fucking Graven, right? Um, but for him, meh. I, if, if, if this was true, if it's come out as true, would I have not gone to see it? I probably would have gone. But would I have expected this to be the, the guy leading this character? No. I will say, though, we all know unconventional casting choices can work out. Sure. Yeah. Look at Phil on this podcast. <laughs> Came together until we fired him. <laughs> Wouldn't argue that worked out at all. <laughs> so I I feel like casting wise, I really can't speak to whether or not he's good for the role. I just don't. Like I, I I'm a big, big, big Matrix fan, and in those movies, I think Keanu Reeves does really well. But Neo is intentionally a flat character, mm-hmm. and so there's not a ton of you know emotional work for Keanu Reeves to do. Although I think he's good in those movies, yeah. but those are the only movies I've seen him in. So can't speak to that so much. But a recent trend, um, really over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, has been to cast big-time actors as villains in superhero movies as opposed to heroes. Um, Because a lot of times, big-time actors don't necessarily want to commit to several movies, so it's really easy to say, okay, we'll just do the one. Like Christian Bale is just going to play Gore the God Butcher, likely in one movie. Um I'm sorry that I forgot, but who was the woman that played Hela? Oh, uh, Kate Blanchett. There you go. Kate Blanchett, huge actress. Uh, She did one turn as Hela, probably not going to do another one. Um, And that's something that, you know, we see a lot. Um, So I could easily see Keanu Reeves going down that path. That makes sense to me. Um, What doesn't make sense to me is for him to stick around for the complete Craven arc, which there's almost no reason to use Craven if you're not going to do Craven's last hunt at some point. So it wouldn't yeah. just be one movie. And at that point, maybe it's years down the road. Maybe it's after a three part arc that takes place between Craven's film and then a sinister six movie. And then him one-on-one with Spider-Man and like a last ditch effort to kill him. I'm going to go crazy type of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't see Keanu Reeves being around for all that. And if he's not going to do all that, then they shouldn't have him there. And so I just don't really, I don't know if it's a good marriage. 
I think uh, the villain point you made is is an interesting one too because I guess it's also like easier to make a villain go away and come back later, right? Like you look at like how like they used like Zemo, where it was like he was in a movie and then gone for like ten fucking years, and it's like, all oh, right, yeah, like he'll come back now, and it's like that. I feel like is probably easier to get an actor of that caliber to agree to of like, yeah, like I'll make an appearance again five years from now, but I don't I don't want this to be the only fucking thing I'm doing for the next ten years, you know. The problem, though, is that you can run into a, a situation like what they ran into with Hugo Weaving, where, you know, he just was like, no, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so for a character that they, you know, that's kind of relevant, like Red Skull, when they brought him back, they had to use a different actor. Yeah. Um, in the case of Daniel Brohl, I believe, is who plays uh, Baron Zemo. No disrespect whatsoever, but like his place not full like Keanu Reeves is. So you can, you can reasonably say, okay, if we try to film this other thing, he'll be around or he'll make himself available. Whereas with Keanu Reeves in five years, he may not care a single iota about Craven. Dude, he's going to be shooting berserker. Exactly. (laughs) His his plate could be so full that you like, look at um, Will Smith. They couldn't even get to film the second movie for the franchise that he tried to start because he's just too busy. Like, they couldn't get him. What was that movie where he was a superhero, but he was a dirtbag? Hancock. Hancock. Yeah, they couldn't even get him for Hancock 2. Like, come on. Bad Boys 2 to 3, that was like a 15-year gap, you know? These are the things that happened. So, um, yeah. Wait, so, was the new Bad Boys that just came out, Bad Boys 3? Yeah. yeah. They got to make a fourth one, right? Like, Bad Boys 4 Life. Like, I feel like you got to end it on that. They already made Bad Boys for Life. The third Is that too? Oh, that's the third one? Okay. Yeah. That feels like a missed so, opportunity, man. It's got to have the four <laughs> in the title. <laughs> I don't disagree. I haven't I seen disagree. three. <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah. But on, only, only if you are a very large fan of Bad Boys. You have to really love Bad Boys. And I do. I really like the first two. They're fun. Okay. So give it a chance. Right. They're, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. I'm down with that. Like I like both of those actors enough. Like I'll watch them just do stupid shit. Like they they're fun together. <laughs> that, that's that's very true. Uh so the last thing we've got going on here today before we get into the main topic is of course the Super Bowl. Woo! This is a sports show. I can't show believe now? he did it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I you guys don't want to talk about the Super Bowl? I mean, I guess. How about that, that halftime yeah, show? I'm down. That, actually, the halftime show was pretty cool. I didn't see it. I, I thought it was it. legit. Really? Neither of you saw it? I don't care for it. I'm on a different continent. I, whatever. I don't care about you nerds. So, Sean, <laughs> the weekend's performance. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw the memes coming out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the memes. I saw the performance, but I saw the memes as I was watching the performance. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, just like that shot of him with the camera like going around. This, it's like... Did they know that that was going to be a brilliant meme? Because it's so applicable in so many situations. The internet's just too fast. <laughs> guys, guys, I thought we were here to talk about the Super Bowl. Oh, right. The game, right. Uh, yeah, no, not Bucks. the game. Not the game. Oh, Bucks. not the game. Okay. No, the, the trailer that aired during the game. Oh, the trailer. The trailer. Yes, okay, okay, course, okay. The Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer that aired in the margins of what was a game of football. Oh, I think I, I was going to talk about snacks. I had a veggie tray. No, that, that Doritos commercial. Everybody loves the veggie tray. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and watch that trailer. 
uh, because it was it was there were some interesting things in it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen here so that we can all bask in the glory of the second trailer for Falcon and Winter Soldier. So did you guys? Well, I know I know a lot of times you guys don't necessarily love like the second, third, fourth trailer. So how did you feel about this? Uh, I, I didn't I wasn't as bothered by it. I think this this uh, show and these shows in general have not been um, super overexposed. Like we've we had another trailer for it, but it was a while ago. And like, I don't remember it that well. And it was like one of those real short kind of like 40 seconds, one or two jokes kind of thing. This was the first time it felt like they were actually getting into like what it's about. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like we are this close to it coming out and I have no idea what the plot of it is aside from the fact that like Cap's retired and now they're a team and they've got to do a thing um, made me feel less cool on it as a as a trailer because I actually felt like some of those questions were things worth answering. Wait, so on the screen, go ahead. This is coming out March 19th, guys. You say that to say... We're screwed. We're gonna have we to watch. Have, we are gonna have. We're not gonna sleep. Late night. Oh, oh fuck! Right. Why? Oh no! <laughs> hey, card subject to change. We might just have to push back or push forward or whatever. The uh, the watch along for Justice League. Never. Maybe we yeah. do that on Saturday night. <laughs> Go to bed at five p.m. <laughs> Christ. All right, let's here, press record. Here, 5 p.m. Oh, where's Kale? Who knows? <laughs> here on the screen is the shot that uh, had the internet ablaze. Uh, uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan's legs are touching as they're being, I don't know, <laughs> they're being interrogated or they're in couples therapy or whatever this is. But uh, people really, really like <laughs> that. And I think fan fiction websites the world over were on fire with people massive uptick in traffic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the word ship was trending on Google. <laughs> Winter Falcon. <laughs> uh, so Baron Zemo is in this and he's yes. sporting his his mask, which is pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um Zemo feels like a character they've not I don't necessarily want to say underutilized, like he's been important, but like I don't know. He's he's a a good villain, right? And like it's cool to see him you know, potentially having like a more prominent role after like what? This is his third appearance. This is his second appearance. Yeah, yeah. His and even his first appearance, like while it was pivotal to what is it, Civil War? Mm-hmm. I still wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, he was. You know, he was cool, but he was more like the uh, he set the things in motion. Right, yeah, right. Of. He was uh, a puppet master, but because of that, he's not really in the story. <laughs> right, right. Essentially. I liked him a, a lot in that movie, and so I'm really yeah. excited that they're going to use him again. But I agree that there's a lot more that they can do. Um, and he fits in pretty neatly, you know, coming after Winter Soldier again and whatever the hell else they're going to do with him. Yeah, I'm excited for the slice of life aspect of this, you know, getting to see sort of how the relationship flourishes um, and what they do on weekends. This is, yeah, this is, I think this is going to be the the show for me. The Halloween episode going to be really good. Yeah, man, like, you know, or, or the Valentine's Day episode, you know, would have just passed or something, you know? Sure, sure. Um, 
So yeah, I the thing uh, the thing with this series for me is I don't remember if it was right with this trailer, if it was like shortly before or after, but they kind of um, had a press release that talked a little bit more about the plot and everything, and that like the group uh, that they're going to be dealing with is is called the Flag Smashers, and like we got a, a good amount more of the plot, and um, I it definitely gave me pause a little bit. Cause like I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous that it's going to have, um, like kind of like some messy political commentary about like this very like pro America kind of thing. And like in 2021, that, that kind of story I think is going to like feel a little bit dissonant and like potentially, um, at least for me kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, given like. Just the the political climate we've existed in the last couple of years, and like I I don't really want something that's going to be, you know, like obviously Captain America is Captain America, but I don't want something that's like overtly pro American or pro, you know, um, or, you get what I mean. Um, well, Biden Biden won, and uh, like so America's back on top. I don't know. I don't see what the problem is. Well, right. uh, uh, Garrett, Jay Garrick. Jay Garrick is president, right? Is what he's saying. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of my fear, right? Is, is that that joke that Kale's making is that like this is going to be kind of tapping into that of like ah, it's fine for us to just lean back into that and like pretend that everything's cool. Um, and I, you know, I uh, I recognize that like it's art, and you know, um, not everybody's going to carry that into it, right? Uh, but I know for me, like, it's something I could see myself, if that is kind of the vibe, um, rolling my eyes at it and, like, be feeling frustrated by it, not being able to connect with the characters as much because it just feels, you know, um, inappropriate, I guess. And that's something I wasn't thinking about with this series when we the last time we talked about it, and now I'm kind of nervous about how I'm actually going to feel about it because I have been looking forward to it um, less so than, than WandaVision, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see how this will be that different from anything else in, in that regard yeah. that Marvel has done. Oh, join the military. You can be a super soldier or get a cool wingsuit or, you know, a cool metal arm. You can do that too. You could be a super spy if you want. I don't, you know, it's, it all it all looks about on par to me. Yeah, I don't I don't have any reservations about that, like the content necessarily, or or the, the, I guess whatever message they might portray. But for me, it's the the action end of it. I'm just like not in a mood for it. It, it reminds me of something like I don't know if you guys have seen the Bodyguard on Netflix or something, or um, Miranda's been watching like. Um, something lupin and it's like a mystery adventure thing and I, I don't know i'm just like not in the mood for uh punching kicking whatever fights like i i, I want something that is if, if i'm gonna want to watch content I, I want something that's a little bit slower that's not necessarily this so it's not just like not as interesting for me because it is more so of the you know superheroes fighting and shit and it's like all right whatever not the flavor you're in the mood for yeah uh I'm a little surprised by your take, Pete. Uh, I have seen, I've kind of seen that floating around, and um, I don't, I don't even, 
I don't kind of even know where that's coming from because it's obvious that this is all like propaganda and the negative that that's that something is wrong that Captain America and Winter Soldier have to make right. Um, You know, Baron Zemo is obviously up to shenanigans. He's on American soil, I would presume, based on this trailer, which is bad news. Um, And we know that the government is has been manipulated before. So they're trying to put up a new Captain America. That's what the trailer looks like. Um, And obviously that guy's going to be a nutcase. We've seen this happen before in the comics and they're going to have to deal with that. This is going to be like a who will wield the shield type of thing that they did after Cap died in the books. They had the who will wield the shield miniseries that was kind of about all the different people who could theoretically be Cap. And in the face of Falcon being the wielder of the shield now, the fact that they don't want him and they want theoretically a white guy to be cap instead and that's who they're going to push is going to have is going to create a narrative that i'm definitely compelled by because it's something mm. we got in rick remender's captain america which starred the falcon so i feel like there's a lot of really great content to mine about the exact opposite of what you're saying and then i feel like the trailer gives me those vibes more i hope you're right yeah for me it's more like it's it's the fear that that's the way it's going to go rather than what you said because what you said i'm that sounds interesting to me Okay. So real quick, this scene here, is anybody else getting Mockingbird vibes from Sharon Carter? Kind of, yeah. Is that her character name or the actress? Uh, Sharon Carter. No, Sharon Carter is the character, yeah. Um, okay. uh, Peggy Carter from Cat, her niece or whatever. Oh, Great right, niece. Okay. Just the way that she's throwing that, that I don't know thing? if that's a pipe, I guess. But even her co- the color scheme of, of what she's wearing kind of reminds me of Mockingbird. Mm. yeah like that that throw like it it feels like a very like like it looks it looks like it's just a pipe but it reminds me of like daredevil you know that kind of character right yeah yeah so uh i think it looks good i don't want to see anything more i hope they don't put out a new trailer if they do uh i'm gonna try to avoid it if i can yeah just because i feel like this is everything that i need we're very close and uh, I would rather go in with as many surprises as possible, even though I think that the uh, story is extremely transparent at this point. Yeah. Um, Sean, can you pause it really quick on, on uh, 139? Sure. We can do that through the power of technology. Oh, f, f you. <laughs> oh, my God. How are you doing that? Oh, what do you mean? What's going on? Love, Stop putting hearts love on the is in the air. Love is in the air, man. This, Dude, this, this, this is the look I'm here for, Sean. I'm so, not. The soldier it's... and the bird? Mm, it's on, not great. On. Let's workshop it. No, Winter <laughs> Falcon worked better. Winter Falcon. <laughs> yeah, but that's, right. not a, that's not a romance novel name. Calling it here. That's their, that's celebrity, that's their celebrity mashup name. That's all the time we have for that segment. And, uh... <laughs> Now we're going to get into a conversation about villains like Kale and <laughs> like me. <laughs> yes. Like you. I just want to say before we do that, uh, please just send your best uh, fan fictions just directly to the comics at gmail.com. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, you know. We will. We will absolutely retweet them, we'll promote do- them. And if you join the discord, we will read them on the show. We'll do a dramatic reading on the air. Absolutely. <laughs> 
I don't like any of this. <laughs> so I would say that historically, people love villains. Some of the greatest characters we've ever seen on the big screen are villains. You know, Darth Vader is up there. So's the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker, not Jared Leto's Joker. Whoa. Um, but villains are as important to the story of a hero as the hero themselves. But I would say that in, in superhero films, especially the ones that we've gotten since the MCU started, it feels like the villains have played second fiddle to the hero. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, of course they should. They're, they're the villain. They're only there for the hero to punch. And I disagree. And I think as evidenced by the fact that uh, at least Sony is trying to make all these different movies with villains as the stars of them uh, and Marvel making Loki a household name by including him in so many films and Thanos as well. Mm. It's clear that these characters, these villains are as interesting as the heroes that they're supposed to be getting punched by. So why is it that it seems like there's a struggle to get these villains right? Uh, is there a problem with the way that villains are being utilized, even in the MCU? That's what I want to talk about today in our main topic. And I'm going to start by kind of explaining where I'm coming from and let you guys bounce off me. So I think MCU villains, by and large, suck. I think I can count on my hands the amount that are good. Uh, Thanos is good. Loki is he's I don't even know if I see him as a villain anymore yeah when he was a villain he was good though yes okay so Loki's good um Hela was was good would have been top of my list too yeah yeah and um Killmonger was good yeah of course Mm. I think those are the the ones that people don't dispute for me personally I like Baron Zemo but I think there's that he's there are mixed feelings on on his his portrayal. What about Obadiah Stane? <laughs> Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, exactly. And then from there, you have a bunch of villains who are either cool but underutilized, or just not interesting. Look at Thor: The Dark World and uh, the villain Malekith. Baron. Yeah, not even really a character. Terrible. Um, yeah, <laughs> just really terrible. just bad. Um. You know, Winter Soldier was a very good villain, but he's a hero. Yeah. Well, and you could argue Robert Redford in that film is also the villain, but he's overshadowed by the Winter Soldier. Right, yeah. Exactly. So I don't think that the MCU has necessarily nailed villains, although, to be fair, uh, I think all but Loki of the villains that we talked about, their stories really kind of ramped up or they were introduced in phase three. Yeah. They're on the upswing for sure. Like they've gotten better at it as time's gone on. Sure. Like think about like, who's the main villain in Thor. It's literally a, like a robot that doesn't talk. Like that's the primary antagonist. It's just a big dumb thing for him to hit because Loki's pulling the strings and he's the real bad guy, but like fucking not really, you know, like (laughs) sure. Um, and then, you know, you look at, like, all of the Iron Man movies, the villain is kind of not great. Die at Tony Stark. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much, except for uh, the Mandarin who was fake. You know that. Yeah, three. That was... His enemy was PTSD. Uh... <laughs> right. Yeah. See, exactly. That, that would be a better villain. <laughs> yeah. Well, people like that movie, right? So, um, I feel like by and large the villains have just not been good, and the consistent thing that they have with each other is that a lot of times they're of a. Uh, a funhouse mirror version of the hero. Yeah. And so that's the first thing is that I believe Marvel at least tries too hard to make the villain the opposite or or like the weird version or the the cautionary tale of the hero. Mm -hmm. So they get lost in that. Um, DC's not immune either. Now, of course, DC's movies have a lot of problems. But uh, Zod, a lot of people didn't like. Uh, Batman vs. Superman's Lex was... Boys. 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 <laughs> need, need we go on? Uh, Justice League's villain was absolutely terrible. I think Aquaman had the best villain uh, out of or villains out of all of the DC films with uh, Black Manta and... Uh, Ocean Master. Uh, Ocean Master, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then Wonder Woman, both both times over, I think the villain was absolutely forgettable. They put uh, two in the villain. second movie, and they're both not good. <laughs> exactly. So we're living in a world where superhero movies are better than ever, but the villains are not good. So what do you guys attribute that to? Go ahead. I don't have a thing to attribute it to, but I guess I want to introduce one more point. When you think about the earlier superhero movies that were like in the era where a lot of them were bad, the villains were better. Yeah. Green Goblin, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Magneto, you know, uh, Ian McKellen, like it's good shit. Jack, both Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger's Jokers. Like you have lots of examples of, of good standout performances by, by antagonists. Um, I mean, I think it's probably a multifaceted issue. I think the point that you outlined earlier, Sean, is one that like getting A-list actors to commit to playing villains for a long period of time seems to be a problem. And for whatever reason, I don't know, like I guess we don't seem to see as many like younger actors who they want to put over in that way. Like that's what they did with Loki, and I think that's why it worked. Um, they built him up over the course of several films and people fell in love with the character, right? Um, so many of the other characters feel like a means to an end. Like, it's like, who is Tony Stark going to punch this week so that he can go through an emotional journey? And it's not really about the villain's, you know, arc or role or what they want or what they desire. It's that they're a bad guy and the good guy needs to stop them in the midst of whatever's going on in their life. Right? Like I'm thinking of one of the more recent movies that had a a forgettable villain that checks all the boxes you're talking about. Right? Ant-Man and the Wasp. And it was Yellow Jacket and it's the same powers and he's the bad version, whatever. Mm. Yellow Jacket's the villain in the original Ant-Man. Oh no. Who was it then? It was... (laughs) It was Ghost. I guess that actually speaks to what I'm talking about. So I'm thinking about (laughs) Yellow Jacket and I'm thinking it's in the second movie. Um... The real conflict of that movie, right, is about the disarray in his personal life and that, like, he's 
a loser and he's got a strange relationship with his family and all this stuff. Like Yellow Jacket is immaterial to it. You replace him with anybody else and it's like whatever. Um, whereas like you look at Black Panther, right? And like part of the reason that I think that Killmonger is compelling, and it's not only because he's good actor and well-written, like there's skin in the game. Like, him and T'Challa are family, and there's this whole deeper conflict that, you know, speaks to an ideological struggle in the film. Like, he matters to the plot in a way that Yellow Jacket or Ghost, you know, it's like, whatever, right? Like, they, they're just a bad guy to beat. To, they're, they're an obstacle to be overcome. Mm-hmm. And so they feel like grunts. They feel like mooks. They feel like some random nobody. I think I think it's very similar to like the comics. Like the one note villains are the ones that to with Pete's laying out is they're just what the character is what the main character is, but an evil version, a mirror version, and because of that that's supposed to be enough. But I think even in the books we realize that those those characters that have their own sort of depth to them are the ones that make the biggest marks both for us as readers, but also to the characters that they're affecting. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to be able to do that as a villain, affect the character that you're, that they are quote unquote fighting because it's supposed to be something deeper than just, okay, a punch in the face. And it's supposed to be something more at stake than just whether or not the good triumphs over evil. And there's there's a lot of that in there's a lot of that in the MCU, but there's also like not a lot of that in the MCU. The same way they're they're well, maybe less so even for um, DC. But um, uh, was it uh, the Dark Knight's a great example of of that one? You know, it, at that point, it's there's something more than Batman's just trying to overcome the madness that is Joker. He's also trying to rein in. Uh, what the what the bat what the cowl even means right. in the face of something that is meaningless yeah uh and i i think i think you guys are both making a, a good point in that if there's not a conflict that's bigger than you know us punching each other in the face it's gonna fall flat but i think to pete's point uh at least in the case of marvel they've chosen the route of Okay, so what is it? What is the emotional core of this character's problem removed from the villain? And what villain can we introduce that can represent that problem in a physical way? Yes. So that when they beat them, they beat the problem. And I think mm-hmm. that that can work. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, what's what where it doesn't work is that it removes essentially the identity from the villain. Look at the difference between Killmonger and. Uh, Pete's example of Yellow Jacket. Killmonger has... It's a great performance. Put that aside. Killmonger has an agenda that is directly in conflict with what Black Panther is dealing with in the movie. They have to They have to come to blows in order to achieve what each other wants. It's not just about Black Panther stopping Killmonger. It's actually about um, Killmonger trying to stop Black Panther and Black Panther having to defend Wakanda from a person who wants to kill him to achieve his goals. Um, And yes, they are diametrically opposed to each other on a philosophical level, which adds depth to it. That something that most superhero movies doesn't have. It makes it feel less contrived. 
right? Because like you said, like because of who they are as as men and who how they see the world and what their place is in it, they are diametrically opposed and no matter what, they must come to a conflict. Right. Right? It's not just, oh, this bad guy stole a thing that I know the guy who owns it, so I got to go fucking help him out or you know what I mean? Like that's just a contrived way to create conflict so that you can have a fight. And that's nothing. You know, like Killmonger has his own journey. He's the hero in his own story. That's like the golden rule of a good villain, right? Is that they believe that they're the good guy and they are morally righteous. And, you know, the fact that you can make an argument that he has a, a valid point of view is what makes him a compelling character. Because in the same breath, he's also, you know, a violent guy and a killer. And that's... That's the thing that differentiates him into T'Challa. But at the end of the day, their conflict changes T'Challa. And he becomes a better person because of their conflict and because of the exploration of their ideological difference. That speaks to a better script. And it's more rooted in character work. And when you remove the agency from a villain, they, they, they become something other than a character. They become a plot device. So I think that the problem with villains is... In part, this is something that I believed forever. It's in part what what is fundamentally different between uh, the way that movies are presented in comics. So in the movies, they they know that you know we only have Tom Holland as Spider Man for X amount of movies. So you know we got to make sure that we get him in there against great villains. But also, we have to make sure that we're trying to serve people different villains than they've seen before. And also, this isn't Tom. Uh, this isn't Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire. This is a different character. Is a different actor playing a different version of the same character. So you can't say, "Here's Green Goblin again," but it's actually Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. So because you can't re- recur Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, he can't evolve and change throughout a series of movies the same way that Peter does. So when you only get the character one time, that one appearance is going to be all, you can only say everything you have to say about him, you have to say right here and now. And there's no ability for that character to grow and evolve. Look at Thanos. Thanos is the perfect example of a good villain. Why? Well, he appeared, what, five times, four or five times. Not all of them were major. Uh, he appeared right, in Guardians, yeah. and that was that, that was a, a more sizable role. Um, but then, obviously, Infinity War and Endgame. Infinity War is his movie. Yep. Infinity War is a Thanos movie that has the Avengers in it, dealing with him. Um, and so he's also got a philosophical point of view that is crazy, but you can see where he's coming from. It's thought out. Exactly. It's not just mindless. There's there's rationale there, and you understand why he believes it, not why you should necessarily. Yeah, and it's and it, and again, right? Like it has stakes. Like he has a he believes he has some higher calling. Like he's not just some fucking guy who's stealing a suit so he can be a better criminal. Right. Exactly. Um, and and that's what's so important. Now, if Thanos had, and I think this is interesting, if Thanos's only movie was Infinity War, right? Mm-hmm. If at the end of Ragnarok, not even, forget that. If if his only movie was Infinity War, is is he as good? Probably not. 
because I think that goes back to the 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 Loki mm. uh, thing that we had we had talked about, right? Where it's like Loki gets built up over the course of several movies. So like in Avengers, you've already met him and you already understand what his relationship is to Thor, and like it contextualizes him in a way that allows him to have more weight, right? Because again, right? It's it speaks to uh, the the thing I said about Killmonger too, right? Where it's like, there's personal stakes, right? Like even though like Loki's an asshole and I don't think that he is ever presented to have like a plan that has like some greater ideology or that is like this, you know, commentary or whatever. But the root of Loki as a villain and as an antagonist is familial drama. And everybody understands that everybody understands the idea of living in a sibling shadow and, you know, finding out uh, he's adopted, too, so he feels even more like an outsider. Like, those are all things that you're like, yeah, no, he, I get it. He fucking hates his brother. And, <laughs> and he wants to uh, feel powerful. He wants to feel like a big man. You get that. That's universal. I actually think Thanos would work if you just use Infinity War and Endgame. No Endgame. Just Infinity War. Oh, uh tough well, i thought endgame was garbage anyway uh, <laughs> yeah i think so uh because like everything else that came before infinity war was fairly ancillary yeah like even in even in guardians you know you have the you have the relationship with um nebula and gamora mm-hmm. and that's fine but that's also explored in Infinity War. Then you have Ronan the Accuser and all that, but even still, he's the boss, you know. And that movie, that movie's villain is Ronan. Yeah. So I think you know if you just open the way Infinity War opens and leave Thor Ragnarok um, with them taking off for hope, and then open. Uh, you That's know, a good point utterly destroyed that establishes your threat and then you know like you said it's Than- it's thanos's movie and i think they set it up that way on purpose specifically to you know avoid uh, the the thing we spoke about earlier of needing to catch up with this character yeah i think i think there's a way that you can make it work but i um to what you said sean on like comics is one of the few places where you can see a character a villain grow over time i think that aspect of it would be the only thing that would be lacking but i don't see it not being possible to be able to tell a sort of story contained with with thanos but um yeah but but like trying to tell that longer form story i it reminds me of like tv villains you know they'll 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 come back they'll recur but depending on the writing, uh, whether or not they, they grow or they, they change over time. That depends. But you could also just have villains that show up for one, one episode that you know are in conflict with the main characters and then they're gone. So, I mean, I think that it's... I don't know that it's unique to comics, but you can make either work one way or the other and whether or not you get more mileage out of being able to see a villain grow, I think is valid. Um, but only insofar as you allow them the time to do so if they have that space. And the Marvel movies do that. TV shows typically do that. 
um, and comics do that. Well, in, in the Thanos example, uh, the reason, I, and maybe he is, a, maybe he's a bad example of this because Thanos in the in the MCU is tied intrinsically into the Infinity Stones. And so if you've been watching these movies, you already have a familiarity, at least with those, their, yeah. their existence um, and what they can do. So the idea that, it, that anybody with bad intentions would be trying to gather all of them, you inherently know that's bad without even knowing who it is. It could have been anybody. Um, the fact that it was Thanos, obviously, and that he is such a rich character adds to that. But you could have... It wouldn't have been good, but you could have said, okay, now Loki's new plan is to gather all the gems. Sure. You know what? I'm actually going to walk back what I said because now that you've laid that out and with what Kale said, I actually do think you could do it because if you have the context of the Infinity Stones as these incredibly powerful items um, that we know are are capable of giving life and you know altering the fabric of the universe, all the shit we already know, uh, coming off of Ragnarok as well and the opening introduction to Thanos is the first time you meet him, he's killed like all the Asgardians, and he beat the Hulk so bad that he's afraid to come out of Banner, and he cuts off Loki, formerly the biggest, you know, villain that the MCU reformed at this point, but, you know, the biggest antagonist we'd had up until that point, and he kills him in, like, a second, and he clowns out the two strongest Avengers like nothing. That would immediately establish, oh, this is a bad motherfucker. And, like, you wouldn't have the emotional weight of, like, the family element and some of these other things that he had been looming in the dis in the background, but you could probably still sell it because they do that good setup and then character work on, you know, in the, the runtime. How do you swing Avengers? How do you swing Avengers? What do you mean? Like, like how, like, what's the inciting incident? Yeah, the because first, his first one. Yeah, because yeah. he was behind that. So right. How do you? You just don't show him. I think I mean, what you they didn't show him, but like you can't. Let's like he his was in the first after credit scene. No, yeah, but what I meant was he's that that is happening because of his influence. So right. I'm saying like f- cut that out. Like he's he doesn't exist prior to Infinity War. I think it's just it's just for Avengers. I think it's you can chalk that up to oh yeah, alien invasion. Or, or like you, yeah, because it could just be an alien invasion, right? Like you didn't necessarily need it to be uh, connected to Loki. Like that makes it better or whatever. But um, you could, I think, easily have there be a scene that contextualizes it where Loki gets some artifact, right? The Tesseract, whatever it is. And he's like, I have this and I'll trade it to you once we take over Earth. And then they're like, okay. You know, like you could- For, exp- for the, the aliens. The yeah, the Chitauri want it yeah. because- they want it because it's powerful. I don't even, yeah, I don't even think you need to do that. I mean, you can connect it to Loki in that way, and I think I do think that works if you want to examine it on that level. But I think even just, you know, oh shit, an actual alien invasion. We've got to get these people, this group of people together. That's the Avengers. Sure. Like, yeah, that's, that's the first time Earth's enough. invaded by alien is aliens is enough of an inciting incident to rally yeah. the Avengers, right? It's interesting because I I feel like the MCU is weaker without, um, it's weaker without that connection. I agree. It, it it created, um, a a contract with the viewer that everything you're seeing right now is going to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I feel that that was important 
throughout the first uh, three phases. But even putting that aside, as we just examine the villain aspect of it, we also all agree that Thanos is probably the best MCU villain. Uh, your 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 mileage may vary versus Hela and Killmonger. Sure. Um, I think it's easily one of them, though, right? But how different would this conversation be if Red Skull, played by Hugo Weaving, appeared a few times? You know, right? Um, what if he got another at bat? Maybe he was behind what happens in Winter Soldier instead of a random nobody. You know, mm-hmm. um, not using their villains more than once for the most part. I feel like is a crippling problem that they have because you can't the same way people don't like um, uh, origin stories anymore, like how they've kind of done away with origin movies. I feel like when when the movie is an origin story for the villain and then they die or are, you know, imprisoned indefinitely in that same movie, they never have the chance to flourish. There's yeah. never that opportunity to like shake off the okay, I'm new and get into the depths of you know what they might want to do or what can be said through this character. Yeah, I agree. Um and and I think uh I think that there's kind of a, another multifaceted issue there, right? Where I think it's like it's a not leveraging characters well enough over time. Um, and like being willing to recast if you need to, right? Because like I think having Red Skull in more than one movie is more important than having Hugo Weaving play the Red Skull. Personally, mm-hmm. um, I also think that the fact that they know that most of the villains are only going to be in one movie and will only be used as like a physical obstacle is a reason that they pick weaker calibers of villains too. Because like there are some you know characters that like. Some not every superhero has the same level of rogues gallery, right? Um, so like you look at like an Ant Man, and it's like they already blew their load on Yellow Jacket, and that's like that's one of the you biggest ones, you, right? Yeah, right. So it's like all right, well that's spent already. So it's like then you look at like an Iron Man or whatever, and it's like okay, like again, he doesn't have as many A tier villains as some other characters, and also like a lot of them are a weird lame mirror image of iron man or like you know whatever and like you you do kind of run into that problem right like not everybody's spider-man not everybody has like 10 villains that people know by name and have a cool design and a unique power set and like narrative juice to squeeze you know um so then it's like when it's like well it's time to make ant-man and the wasp 2 who are we gonna use ghost and it's not a character that's like actually like it's a character that's in the comics, but they changed it, and it's there's someone else, and you know like it's a name really only. Do you think that in sort of this long run of like I don't know quote unquote legitimizing superheroes, uh, do you think they've sacrificed? villains you know compared to the way like we were saying earlier about like jack nicholson's joker or uh uh, the others uh, willem dafoe for especially especially early on in the mcu do you think they've sacrificed good villains for more memorable and charismatic heroes that people will buy into I think for the sake of legitimizing, quote unquote. 
I don't know that I would argue it's for the sake of legitimizing, but I think that's a strong point that I hadn't considered until right now. Because I think when you look at some of the other examples we we came up with, a lot of those movies don't have as many supporting characters, and the ones that do exist are not always as well fleshed out. Like you think about like some of the X Men who appear in like the Fox movies that like, you know, um, like how many times uh, does Kitty Pride appear in like a barely speaking role? You know, and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, in Spider-Man, for example, Peter Parker has like six friends or like schoolmates that are characters with significant amounts of dialogue and speaking roles. And he has teachers that, you know, and like things like that, that those characters get more attention. I think that there's a lot of merit to what you're saying, Kale. I definitely do. Um, And I feel like an example like um, like Black Panther. uh so in Black Panther's first appearance is not in the Black Panther movie. It's in Civil War. And in that movie, you see his origin. His origin is not, I'm Black Panther. It's his dad died. He wants revenge. He's going to go get it. He decides instead of getting revenge, he's going to get justice. And now he has to leave that situation to go be king a heavy burden that's the origin of the black panther in the mcu that origin does not take place in his own movie Mm. that origin takes place in another movie because of the fact that they don't have to do all that work in establishing who he is and what his value system is and all that stuff in the first movie they're actually allowed to have a tremendously compelling villain be the first antagonist in his solo project Look at the Batman franchise. Batman Begins first villains are Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow. Scarecrow's a weird guy who likes to poison people, and Ra's al Ghul is a mentor gone gone wrong. That's it. Then you get the Joker in the next movie after we already know Batman, yeah. who is one of the top three greatest villains on screen ever. And I don't think you can do joker like that if you also have to do the origin of batman in the same movie oh and and two-face in that even to your point and two and two-face absolutely yes and you know we brought up uh jack nicholson in the original batman movie and i would argue that 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 example is strong in the sense that that's a good movie and it's a good characterization of the joker but in my opinion the depth of character is not present no, at all that's carried close. by a performance and and like good effects you know and and like it, it's just it's he's a serviceable villain that is elevated by a great performance which is possible let me change that example then to the penguin danny devito as the penguin because i think that one has a bit more merit for this conversation than jack nicholson as the joker uh the Catwoman. just because of how the depth of their characters, you mean, or well, that they have backstory and that they have right. pathos. Ah, uh, right. okay, yeah, yeah, yes. I see what you mean. They're good. Yeah, I mean, it makes them more memorable. Yeah, because they're fleshed out. And, but again, though, imagine if you had to do all three of their origins in the same movie, right? And that that is also a thing that's worth pointing out. I think too, as uh, we talk about like the MCU movies, and we're making these comparisons to these older franchises. 
um, the older char- the older movies that we're talking about are being made about characters that are more popular and that require less explaining. Um, like you look at like the original MCU movies. The whole point of Thor is to like sell you on the fact that Asgardians exist and that they're aliens and it's not magic. Like it's not actually about a villain. It's about you understanding how Thor makes sense in the same universe as Iron Man. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, exactly. There were no considerations like that back then. And to your point, there was no character that mattered between Batman and uh, uh, Batman Returns that hadn't been seen already. Right. Right. Like everyone already. I'm not going to say everybody, but they're all familiar at, at that time. You probably saw Batman, the the um, animated the, series, not the animated series. I don't think that existed yet, but uh, the Adam West. Oh, show, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you probably saw that. You probably saw them somewhere. And like a lot of people knew that. So it's a character in the cultural lexicon. It, 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 exactly. Whereas Yellow Jacket, uh, not so much. Um, so I think that's when I when I talk about this issue and when I talk about solving this issue, because I do believe it needs to be solved. Uh, Marvel seems to be committed to trying to, um, at least as we've seen so far. But my biggest problem is bring these villains back. So Baron Zemo is a step in the right direction for sure. I'm, I'm anxious to see what they choose to do with him. I'm afraid that it won't be a lot more than we got in Civil War just because there's so much going on in the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. But bringing the villains back is at the top of my list for how to fix this problem. Who who else can we bring back? Um, I'm thinking of like the Iron Man villains. Andorin is coming back. Who? Oh, Mandarin? Mandarin. Mandarin. Yeah. Oh, well, really? the real Mandarin. Okay, okay. Because that wasn't the real Mandarin. Right. Um, dude, the... Uh, what's his name? Jigsaw? The yes, Punisher villain? Punisher. Yo, I want to see, see villains from fucking... Uh, from the shows. That'd be wild. That was going to be the, the final... Um, the final piece that I was going to bring up. Because... When you talk about Marvel villains, Kingpin, yeah, exactly. You're somebody's always going to mention if you ask somebody who's like really into the MCU stuff. You ask them who are your favorite villains. If they remember the TV shows, if they if they connect those two things as being the same, they're absolutely going to mention one of those people, whether it's Kingpin or Jigsaw or um, Purple Man, wh- whoever mm. it is. They're going to mention one of them. And I contend that the reason is because they're they're around for so many episodes. You get to know who they are. You get to know yeah. the history and why why they are. Exactly. Yeah, and it speaks um, to all those other things we talked about where, like, because you have that time, you can establish the same kind of diametric opposition of beliefs or that they have some kind of personal connection. And that's what you need to, for there to be that emotional weight. Yeah, absolutely. It's like... At this point, whether it's comics or whatever, we have seen so many villains and we're so jaded by the concept that if they're not going to be deep, it's like, why? Who cares? I don't care. You know, there's 30 Marvel movies or what? Not, I mean, there's not 30, but like, there's so many. Each one has a villain that gets disposed of by the end. I'm over it. Well, to that point, like, 
often the selling point of these films is is uh, the heroes fighting each other. Exactly. So than the villains. And so what I was going to say was um, we saw a shift in the mid-2000s in comics to where, oh, now the heroes are fighting against each other. Why? Because simply saying, hey, guys, um, a new villain is going to come out and he's going to do something really bad. So you got to check out Civil War because it's going to be crazy. It's not compelling anymore. A new villain doing a bad thing is not that exciting. It's not as exciting as it was in the 90s or the 80s. But heroes have so many stories connected to them that watching their fall from grace or watching them butt heads because they're opposed philosophically is interesting because we know so much about them. We know so much about them. We've seen them together. And it's compelling because of that. So villain X coming to do bad thing is not working out. In my opinion, we need more compelling villains on screen. Uh, And that's my biggest want for phase four. They have access to almost everybody now. I really want to see more compelling villains who get more screen time, who are in more films. Like, if they do Kang, if Kang is the ultimate bad of WandaVision somehow, and they manage to keep him around all the way until the next Avengers movie, that'll be really satisfying. The last thing I want to say is you touched on um, on WandaVision, and I came to a realization uh, in this week's episode, um, which, again, go check out our review. Um, like, I would love to see them experiment more with, like, not relying on a villain as much, too. Because, like, looking at WandaVision, like, it's really compelling. And, like, I'm sure that there is a ultimate villain at the end. But we're, like, most of the way through it. And we don't know who that is. And it's not bothering me at all. Right? Like, it's sure. cool that there's a, a problem to be dealt with in the world of superheroes that's not... We gotta go punch somebody in the face, and maybe we'll get there. But I don't know. I I I, I think that it's it's kind of neat that we're at a point where people get it enough that I feel like they can experiment and they can push that envelope a little bit more. Um, so I hope that that trend that we saw begin in Phase Three really does continue. That we either get more compelling villains, or that if they don't have a compelling villain to use, that like. Maybe we try something else. You know, like we've talked about how cool a Superman movie would be that was just about him like saving people. You know, like there are things about superheroics that are not hitting a villain. Um, so maybe experiment with some of that stuff somewhere. I think it's interesting that you bring up WandaVision because WandaVision does have a clear villain at, at the moment, and that's herself. Sure. <laughs> and I think that that's. It's certainly unique, but I don't know how repeatable it is because mm. most heroes' powers don't lend themselves to that type of storytelling. Yeah. Um, you could always do the hero gone rogue or, you know, whatever, but at some point, right, like at some point Captain America's got to punch somebody in the face and they, they probably are going to have to be some type of Nazi or evil guy <laughs> but I mean, who like, doesn't like America. Like, think about what you just said, though, right? Like I- I'm thinking about like the multiverse of madness. And, like, what if there's not a character who's, like, the bad guy pulling the strings and it's more, you know, I, I think I pitched it in, on We Watch WandaVision last week where, like, what if the plot of that show is that, like, Wanda is trying to get the kids back because they disappear at the end of this and she's going through all the, and it's more about, like, a quest 
that they need to go on and that there are characters that they interact with who stand in the way and they fight or whatever, but like it doesn't need to be as villain centric a plot. And then you don't care as much if it's a thinner character or if there it's not a named, you know, a, you know, a or B tier villain that they're trying to like put over. Um, and I wonder if they're maybe not a repeatable example, but like other kinds of stories they can tell where the obstacle that they have to overcome physically is less a person and is more a concept or, you know, whatever. Right. I don't know. I guess my question then would be, um, how is that terribly different from having a movie in which uh, the villain just sucks? And because I think of like the Lord of the Rings, right? And like the main villain of the Lord of the Rings is Sauron, but Sauron is not really a character that they talk to or interact with or physically fight. Like the 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 journey, the physical thing that the Fellowship has to overcome are different, right? It's 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 a war. It's the it's Sam and Frodo traveling across Middle Earth and overcoming, you know, uh, orcs and a big spider and like obstacles that are not the white the you know the white wizard who is a villain right but he's more Gandalf steel so it's like you you get to have like minor villains and like other things that kind of present obstacles for the characters to overcome together or whatever um, without it being rooted in a character that should have a personality or an ideology but doesn't you know because if it is a force if it is a big eyeball on a hill it's a little easier for me to be like that guy doesn't have a voice I don't need to hear from him you know I was uh, I immediately thought of of War in Wonder Woman, where we felt that that character that villain was super flat. They, it felt like it was sort of attached in because they needed a superhero fight. But I think we had had the discussion during that review where had it been just a concept that Wonder Woman is fighting against because of her own because of her being naive to the world of of uh, of man or something that that probably would have been a more compelling quote-unquote villain where you didn't necessarily have the have a bad guy to punch but at the same time you're able to to what he was laying out you have the adventure you have the the characters interacting with each other and you have a a story development that ends up working you still go on a journey with them and like i think that movie is so much more compelling if the last scene is the one with steve where he's like, it's not a thing that you can punch in the face. Like, it's just yeah. human nature. And, like, that's what you got. And then he dies. And then she's just like, okay. And learn something. That's more interesting. And yeah. you don't, I don't think you need that every time. And I'm not saying that villains are bad. But, like, I don't think you always need to pin the, the obstacle on a physical person to hit in the face. I think that'll be really disappointing to people who are going to come see an action film. What? I mean, maybe, but, like, if you still have action set pieces, does it need to... You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, but, I, like the No the, Man's Land scene is dope in that movie. But the point of an action film is to get to, like, to the... Climax. The final boss. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that what you're suggesting, especially in light of the Lord of the Rings example, works a lot better when you have multiple films to tell. yeah a very specific story that everyone involved is locked in for, especially because Lord of the Rings is like, it's an adventure mm-hmm. series rather mm-hmm. than, you know, like an action movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are 
there are examples kind of of what you're talking about where the villain takes a backseat. Uh, like Wonder Woman is not about Wonder Woman 2 rather is not about her encounter with um, with Maxwell Lord. They don't even fight. Right. And it's not also not about her encounter with Cheetah. They fight, but it's, you know, it's whatever. I look at that as an example where it's like, okay, they put the 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 problem ahead of the villains, and the climax of the movie is not her physical encounter with any particular person. And when we reviewed it, we commented on how flat it was. Yeah. And I feel like you could you could easily say, hey, that's because the movie sucked all around. Yeah, right. But that's true. <laughs> I also feel like when she just talks to the people and then it ends and they're all like, all right, she's right. Let's stop. <laughs> I, that that wasn't good for me. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It, it, we would need an example. And maybe this is, you know, a way to end it on a note of like, let's see where they what they do in the future. But we would need an example of a quality superhero movie in which the primary antagonist is not a physical person and the villain or villains are not what the what the movie is you know although again i argue that most superhero movies today are not about the 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 physical person the villain man is a manifestation of the problem they have to deal with yeah um so yeah i don't know it remains to be seen if we can get i just want more more quality villains in general that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, man. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll see. Phase four is promising in the sense that phase three delivered really highly on villains. Uh, we got more better villains than ever from the MCU in that phase. So I'm excited for that. Um, and I wonder what you guys at home think about the fact that now villains can carry their own movies. And what does that have to say about this whole conversation could the mcu do uh you know a a movie that's just about the villain like no other like it's it's not you know it's a thanos movie where the avengers don't appear you know like it's just about him and his farm or whatever the hell um (laughs) could you accept something like that what villain would you want to see in that role and as we close out i'll pose that question to you guys is there an mcu or a marvel character you would like to see as the ca- the only like person, the only relevant person in their own film, similar to Venom. I think Magneto is probably the only one, but even that, not really. Like I, I don't really love the idea of the villain centric movie. I think that um, villain characters like exist to be a counterpoint to a hero. Um, so like that's what I want to see them do. Because, like, I find identifying with, like, villains um, where they're the main character to be tougher sometimes because, like, you want to have some empathy with the character you're following. You know, you want to, like, connect with their journey on some level. And I feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like it, it, it becomes messy sometimes to do that with a, a villain character that you eventually want to be a character that we're supposed to root against. You know, I don't know. Um, I'd rather see that work done in the context of another character. 
the only thing I can think of is Doctor Doom. That would be cool, actually. Yeah, where you know he's he's doing whatever he's doing in 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 his like kingdom, and he's I don't know fucking shit up. That's tell the story it. of how he gets his powers and stuff, yeah. and like with uh, like him and Doctor Doom or um, Doctor Strange and everything. Yeah. Cool. I mean, the good answers have been taken. Galactus. No. Yeah. Shut up. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Thank Foom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was random. Um, I I'm more with Pete and not really loving the idea of villains as a central figure, but uh, one character that I really like that doesn't get a lot of play who I could see a TV show uh, working really well for is the hood. Um, the hood is a character who is a regular guy who's just trying to get his life together. He does. He kind of does crime on the low to uh, make ends meet. And he encounters this hood that is, it has the, the essence of a demon in it or whatever. And it gives him tremendous power, but at a cost at the cost of him, having to kind of adhere to what this demon wants. It reminds me of like uh the cape. What's the cape? You ever saw that NBC show? The cape that was like 2011, I think. It's like a very no. short-lived original superhero yeah. show. The cape. Was Six seasons in a movie, baby. Yeah, people love the cape. It was good? I there is like I a enjoyed, vocal I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, there's a vocal fan base of people who are like it was great and just nobody watched it. Um, I've never seen it, but I've heard a lot of, it's like a bit on community in one episode too, of like how they want to get Kate revived and shit. Like, <laughs> oh, <really>? yeah, <laughs> I would, I would be very interested if you could find it to see what you would think about it. I really enjoyed it. If you've ever heard the, the community bit, the six seasons in a movie, that's actually where that started. It's, it's a joke yeah. about the Cape originally. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I guess we got to end the show cause I need to go find the Cape now. Um, so again, reach out to us, let us know what you think about the villains problem. If there is even one and what villain you would like to see, get their own series or movie or whatever the case, uh, you can let us know that in a myriad of ways. You can get us on social media at the comics pals. As you tune out, make sure that you guys are leaving us a review or rating wherever it is that you listen. You can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. If you're getting us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. Those two together will keep you posted as to when we post new content. You can drop a comment as well. Share this video with your friends to let them know that we're out here and you like what we do. Um, join our Discord server where we're always having conversations that spin out of this podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, we take we take questions over there. You know, it's it's a it's a great time. Come hang out with us. And you can listen to our book clubs. We just posted the Civil War book club last month. And this month we will be posting Tom King's vision as a book club that we did. So check that out as well. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, make sure you go check out the two extra episodes we put up on Saturday. Um, our reviews in the WandaVision stuff. Um, we've been having a lot of fun doing extra content. I hope you're enjoying it. Let us know. Uh, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about how you feel about all the new stuff we've been doing. If you want to get some more stuff from me, uh, head over to uh, loopots.com, a uh, podcast, weekly Nintendo podcast that I do. Uh, I've been streaming over there on Thursdays, so come hang out. Kale. 
you can watch my village in my village in origin story <laughs> village uh, origin uh, uh, village in origin <laughs> on uh, twitter and instagram at toto in toe that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w you can find my work at killward.com that's c-a-l-e-w-a-r-d.com uh you can find phil at cyborg bebop that's c-y-b-o-r-g-b-e-b-o-p nice uh, you can find me at Mr. Marco Enomoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come tell me if I should read a Yuri book or some sort of AI <laughs> romance grotesque story. Okay. Uh, definitely do go listen to our reviews of WandaVision, Radiant Black number one, and uh, the other book we did? Uh, Eternal. Eternal number two. Eternal two. Yes. Yes, go check that out. Uh, As for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about whatever it is that you're interested in. Uh, I need some inspiration. With that being said, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Guys, a Mr. Freeze solo film. Only if Arnold plays him. Oh, damn. Sold. Hmm. Freeze and... uh, Freeze and Norma. Yeah. What killed the dinosaurs? Nora. Yeah. The Ice Age!